Welcome to the season finale of So Strange. Keeping with tradition, this will be a mega-sized show that includes no less than five separate guests and plenty of variety. Believe me when I say there's something for everybody. Now this episode is like a paranormal potluck, and you're invited to the party. So you're about to hear true stories from the lips of ordinary people who've encountered extraordinary events. Coming up, we'll have ghost stories, UFO sightings, messages from the beyond, Bigfoot encounters, out-of-body experiences, and even a possible sighting of a winged creature as large as an airplane. So dim the lights, close the curtains, and clear your schedule. Because what I have in store for you is over two full hours of content that's sure to give you goosebumps. Welcome to the season finale of So Strange. It is a privilege and an honor, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome our first guest to the season four finale. We have with us Mr. Ron Bowles uh, joining us, and he's been affiliated with the BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, for a long, long time. And I have to say, Ron, I'm a little starstruck because just last night I was watching an older episode of Finding Bigfoot from Animal Planet, and uh, you were one Ozarks. The one in the Ozarks, and you were you were, your mug was on my TV, and you were one of the eyewitnesses that the guys uh, talked with. How was it meeting the the crew from Finding Bigfoot? Was it kind of surreal? Well, I've already met most of them, like Matt Moneymaker and all that good stuff. But uh, I mean, it it was the most organized uh, uh, organized mess I've ever seen in my life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and from what I understand on these shows, that's pretty much part for course well you know it's it's you know reality tv to a certain extent and you out there traipsing around you don't know if you're going to get good evidence or circumstantial evidence but you know speaking of evidence i know you have more encounters than than you could possibly share on on a given show which is why we're going to have you back in season five but you know coming to mind uh all the encounters that you've had uh, do you want to share with us a little bit about that that first encounter, the one that landed you on Finding Bigfoot? Oh, yeah. Seems to be a favorite story that, I, uh, that I've shared many a times. Uh, back in the, uh, uh, the uh, latter part of uh, uh, 1980s, back when I was 20 stupid. Have you ever been 20 stupid, Andy? I was 20 stupid for a long time, actually, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, me and a group of friends, we decided that, uh, I mean, we got through playing ball and, and we, and we heard tell that there was going to be a kegger at this place called the old resort. Now the old resort was an, uh, was a, was an old hunting lodge that has been long time deserted and, uh, it, it led off to a trail not too far away from James river and, and, uh, had a bunch of old, uh, uh remnants of, uh, of uh, buildings that were, you know, crumbled down and, and an old uh, in-ground in swimming pool. Well, the in-ground swimming pool was idea to put a little bonfire going and and get a kegger going. And uh, so me and, and, uh, uh, and let's see here, there was, uh, uh, there was uh, eight people in all. We all climbed into this old, 
uh, Volkswagen van and, and, uh, went over and did, and, and did that. And, uh, when we got over there, we noticed there wasn't any other cars. This was, uh, the latter part of June. And, uh, so we got there about, oh, I would say, uh, you know, somewhere between eight and nine when the sun was, uh, the sun was pretty much all but down, you know, right at dusk. We noticed nobody was there, uh, so we figured either it got busted up by the by the law, or or someone didn't pony up for uh, uh, for the keg. We checked out a few things, and then we started headed back. Well, by that time, it was almost butt dusk. Now the trail that goes to uh, uh, that leads to you know the this uh, uh, this thing was actually an old driveway. And it was elevated from the first floor for about a good two feet, and I bring that up, and and uh, and there, there's a reason towards the end of this uh, story. As we were headed back, there was three people in front of us. There was uh, there was uh, three of us walking together, and there was two people behind us, and we were probably a distance of a good hundred feet from each group, you know, walking down this trail. Well, to our right was the west, and we were hit, walking down, and uh, and this smell, and I, I and I don't know. I mean, it was just absolutely the worst funk you ever uh, smelt in your life. Uh, just sort of enveloped us, and uh, we uh, we were walking down, and. Uh, this guy uh, that was with me, we all, uh, his name was, uh, um, we all called him Bandino, but uh, his real name was Greg, I think. And uh, we, uh, uh, we, we, uh, uh, he first said something, he goes, Ron, what is that smell? I said, I don't know, dude, but it's, it, it's about to make me sick. It was nauseating. And we're walking, and we kept on walking, and the smell got stronger. And uh, I'm sorry, his name isn't Greg, it was Gene. And Gene looked over to his right and, uh, like, you know, towards the west. And about less than 20 feet away from us was a tree that wasn't very large. I mean, it was no thicker than a telephone pole. But he looked at there and his, and his face, he just, his face just froze in, in awe and, and shock. And he goes, Oh my God. And, uh, and he goes, what is that? And I looked where he's looking and sure enough, here was this figure with, uh, with the uh, setting sun behind it, uh, standing behind that tree, its hand was, uh, was holding, uh, was holding the, uh, uh, the, the, the tree limb, not, I mean the, the tree trunk, I mean, not totally, but you could tell, and it was swaying back and forth, back and forth, looking at us. And I looked to the back of us, and those guys were there. I looked in the in front of us, and those guys were there too. So everybody was accounted for. So no one was messing with us. And and I looked at this thing, you know, and I started, and and I, I just you know didn't know what to make of it. Now, Gene is about six foot. Uh, he was a lot bigger than me. I'm six foot three, but Gene was like six foot five. Now the other guy, his name was Michael, and and uh, he was like six foot. Period. 
And uh, but Gene looked at that and he goes, "I can't handle this anymore." And he took off running. Well, being that he's the bi- uh, the bigger one out of us three, he, and taking off running, I sure the hell wasn't going to stick around and 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 uh, see what was going on. So I took off running. Michael took off running. The guys in front of us took off running. The guys behind us took off running. We didn't stop until we hit. We got to that band, and I'm talking. We were breathing and just huffing, and and the and the guys and uh, the other guys were like, "What in the world? What did you see a cop? Did you see a you know what did, what happened?" And we told them what we what we saw. And uh, even then, back then, I started to get a rational mind. I had a rational mind, and I said, "Okay." Maybe what we smelt was, you know, someone getting sick or die or something died on the side of this path. And uh, no, no, and and then and maybe, just maybe, there was a cedar tree behind that tree swaying in the breeze, even though we do, we did not recall this breeze at all. So me and another guy went back, and he happened to have uh, owned the vehicle, so he had the keys to the van, so no one could take off with us. And we went back to the spot that we were. And I knew that it was the spot that we were because there was a tree trunk laying across that path. And uh, the smell was gone. And so was whatever that figure was behind the tree. It had broad shoulders. It had a conical head. And you could make out the, the, the fuzzy, you know, lines of, of the of the figure, you know, uh, with the sunset behind it. And, uh, and what's even more, uh, and what's even more, like I said, we, we were on that trail, which was, uh, you know, two feet elevated from the ground. Gene was six foot five. And this thing would look like you could look at Gene eye to eye, even though Gene was two feet elevated from where this thing was standing. So that would make it about eight and a half, nine feet tall. That's that's a big specimen right there. <laughs> and, you know, I can only imagine because you're, you're seeing something in the moment and your rational mind says this this can't exist. There has to be some other explanation. It's it's, uh, you know, you're you're just you're just reaching for logical explanations. I'm glad you had the wherewithal to go back and, and test out some of these theories, but. I would have been right there with you, man. If I was part of your group, I definitely would have been the smallest of the bunch, and I would have been running right behind you because at that point, you don't need to be the fastest guy. You just got to be faster than the guy next to you, right? Yep. Well, uh, man, that's true. And then even when I took you out in the woods, I told you that I may not be the fastest runner, but I'm the best tripper. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And for anybody listening, I met Ron back in 2016. Feels like a lifetime ago, but he was the expedition leader for uh, a couple buddies of mine, the, my co hosts over on the Paranormal Dads podcast. We went to an undisclosed location uh, in Missouri and traipsed through the woods in the middle of the night. And Ron was a fearless leader. And uh, I, I do remember one particular incident. We got to. Uh, we were down there in the middle of nowhere. Of course, can't see the hand in front of your face because it's so dark. And it's still to this day, Ron, it's it's the scaredest I've ever been because we got to a certain point where we're hearing footsteps coming towards our group from the wilderness. And they're, it's heavy and it's bipedal. And my heart's just about beating out of my chest. And I remember you said to yourself, you said to the group quietly in a whisper, you said, we're getting out of here right now. 
Now, I thought that meant a Sasquatch was coming right for us. Turns out you had a suspicion there was actually hunters in the area. And was we didn't want to catch this. Was that the night that we heard gunshots? It was. It was the same night, I do believe. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the gravel crunching and stuff. Yeah. See, that's that's one of the reasons why when I do lead an expedition, I try my best to not let anybody know what we're doing. It's not that I worry about what they think of me. I could care less. It's people uh, messing with you while you're out there in the woods. Uh, you know, um, but, but that evening, what was very interesting though, even though we had someone out there, you know, messing around where we heard the gunshots and hear and heard what sounded like someone, uh, uh, creeping down the, 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 uh, the trail that we were currently on from the opposite direction, uh, if you recall, we were hearing vocalization else um, uh, opposite of where we were and where wherever we heard that other folks. And that wasn't human vocalization. That, that was coming back at us. Correct. Uh, and once we but, got back to, to base camp and we kind of walked down the trail uh, to the clearing where we had parked the trucks, I'll never forget it for as long as I live. It was the most beautiful sight. I saw a shooting star streak across the sky so big and so bright it lit up the entire area wasn't yes. two seconds after that shooting star, we heard a, a major Bigfoot vocalization up on the bluff uh, to our right. And yep. I do believe my friend Eddie still has audio of that somewhere. But it, it was it was unlike anything I can describe other than it was really primate-like. And, of course, a split second after that goes off, that gets the coyotes all in a frenzy and they start yipping and howling. It was, yeah. it was a busy night, that's for sure. Well, you know, I have a voice that carries. I mean, I have good set of lungs, and believe me, you'll – You'll hear me coming, but, uh, but the thing is, and like one person told me one time, Ron, you're a big old boy and you have a good booming voice, but whatever we heard that night made you sound like a 10 pound, uh, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of does it for perspective, you know, you, you, can you imagine the lung capacity on an eight, eight and a half foot, 10 foot, you know, possibly tall creature. So you were terrified with that sighting back in the eighties and, and rightly so, um, I do have to ask you, is there another incident or encounter you've had that got the blood pumping as much as back then, or, or was that the scariest moment you've ever had with Sasquatch? Well, after that incident, I mean, uh, I've learned to curb my fear. Don't get me wrong. I always show, I always err to the side of caution. I mean, you know, they, well, you know, Bigfoot's your friend. No, Bigfoot is a wild, you know, Sasquatches are a, a wild animal, a wild primate, and you don't mess with them. I'm one of those that don't get out of the car and mess with a buffalo. I'm sure not going to, you know, I'm not going to get out and try to shake hands with Sasquatch. Um, but I will, but the thing is, when you go squatching, you can't chase them down. You have to lure them in. You got to make them curious on what you are doing, and uh, and if they come around, then you got to show the per uh, a certain amount of caution. Now, a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, on another expedition, I was leading this group, and do you remember Scary Road? I, I vividly remember Scary Road. It was scary. <laughs> yeah, I took a group. That, well, uh, we took I took a group down Scary Road one evening. 
<coughs> unfortunately, you weren't there. And uh, and we went. Uh, it was a group of about oh, 10, 12 people. And uh, we went down there, and uh, we found a nice little clear spot where I took the group, and I said, let's have a set and uh, listen to what the force has to tell us, right? And uh, and we uh, uh, we sat around and we and we listened and we heard vocalization. We heard some wood knocks going on and stuff like that. Well, uh, one of the uh, one of the participants came to me and said, uh, uh, "Hey, Ron, who's that over there uh, behind that bush?" And I said, "Well, that's uh, that's what's his name's daughter." And he goes, are you sure? And I said, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, well, what's his name said, my daughter's behind us. And sure enough, we look back and she's sitting on a log. So all three of us, and we were, you know, we were, we were whispering very quietly. All three of us were looking at this figure behind, uh, behind this brush. And, you know, your night adapts pretty good once you're in the dark. And I, that's something I tried to teach you and your friends. And, uh, plus there was just a bit of moonlight. It was like half moon. And we walked up on that uh, on that bush, all three of us. I mean, it was almost uh, comical in a way because all three of us stepped, uh, you know, took one step forward at, at the same time. And whatever was behind that bush jumped out of behind that brush, and and there was a uh, there was a, a land sort of like a a, a, a berm behind it, uh, uh, where you know dirt and stuff was piled up. And that thing just got up, and it wasn't overly big, but it was furry. The moon, the light of the moon actually caught the fur, and it went, and it, as it rolled, rolled, not jumped, rolled over that burn. Uh, the, the, uh, the moonlight caught its fur, and we could, and we could almost see this figure just take off running in the woods. Well, at that point, then the vocalization started going around us. We heard, uh, we started hearing a, 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 a movement in the brush all around us. We heard, uh, 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 you know, like, you know, all, uh, and all this. I, and here I was, pretty much the only veteran of the woods, you know, uh, with us. And by the way, we don't go in armed. Uh, that's taboo. And, uh, and, you know, it was like we were being surrounded by, you know, something. And at that point, I decided that, you know, being that uh, I was the leader of the group, that it would be safer for us to start hitting back to the, the Workman's Camp Road, right? That old gravel road, if you remember. And we headed back there, single file. And all that time, uh, you know, I and of course, I, I took, I didn't take point. I, I did follow up because making sure no one got left behind. And me and this other guy, we were doing that, and you could easily hear something parallel uh, walking us out of the woods. And once we got back in the gravel, we went to the back, back to Workman's Camp, if you remember where that is. And we and uh, we uh, went back to where uh, other people were, were uh, sitting there at by the vehicles. Well, while we were going there, we had one guy. He was standing there in the road watching us come in. And he was watching us with a thermal. 
And when I came up back up there with me and the other guy that was with, with me, he goes, uh, who's that behind you? I said, nobody. It's just me and it's just me and Charles. And uh, he goes, well, whoever's back there, I said, he's big. And sure enough, just as soon as we, uh, as soon as he said that, the thing got up and, and walked back into the woods. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I got, I have goosebumps. And anyone listening, if you don't have goosebumps, you might want to check your pulse. Uh, how terrifying would that be? Um, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> you know, and, and while we're talking about this though, Ron, I'm, I'm just thinking of other, other questions. I got, I got two that I have to ask you. Otherwise, I won't be able to sleep tonight. And however, oh, you... Andy, there's one more thing about that. Please. We went back to that area during the daylight. Where we were was right next to a spring-fed pond. We found a footprint by that pond. You found a foot? How, how large was the footprint? The footprint was uh, 16 inches long and, uh, in memory serves, six inches wide. That's a good size shoe. Wow. Wow. And... You know, I, I don't. I'm not a math expert, but I'm thinking of something with a 16 inch long uh, foot. I'm. Just, how do you calculate the weight from that? I mean, we're talking a creature that must be 500, 600, 800 pounds. Well, I weigh. You know, I weigh uh, uh, like two, uh, 270, 280, depends on what I eat. And um, and when I stepped right beside it, and it was it was damp. It was damp ground. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't mud. And I stepped in right beside it, and I couldn't make near the indenture this thing did. Yeah, so it's it's a well-fed boy, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. And I'm sure their weight fluctuates a little bit depending on what they eat. Now, is the consensus that, uh, you know, Sasquatch are carnivores, herbivores? Are they scavengers? Do they eat whatever they can get? I believe the term is omnivores. Omnivore, yeah. Yeah, which means that you know they're they're opportunity opportunity uh, 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 eaters. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, during the during the during the summertime uh, during the summertime they they I mean they'll they'll get they'll they'll hang around areas. They may go after the 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 fish or or and they may ha- uh, go after whatever they can find around the uh, shores of the rivers or or or, or uh, uh, lakes and uh, and you know whatever they can get their get their hands on but you know but uh, but the vegetation is so abundant that they really don't have to do a whole lot of hunting and foraging now towards the towards the fall they start wandering a little bit more because you know the food source is getting a little scarce plus you know they they notice the change of the temperature they know it's time to start putting on the pounds and uh you know and start finding that protein when they can find it and so yeah they go after the they go after the turkey and the whatevers you know and plus uh it takes and, and it takes a little bit more effort to do the hunting and foraging during the winter you know they'll that i mean if if they'll go, uh, they'll go dumpster diving if they have to. Um, I don't. If you remember uh, that old friend of mine, uh, Bill, who lived in that area, uh, he's he's passed away, but uh, he he uh, took me to a spot that was near a uh, school that was you know uh, surrounded by uh, by woods, 
And he said he watched these lanes go out there and mess around in the play yard where the kids were at night. And he goes, but uh, he goes, but they only do this during the winter. I don't understand. I said, well, it's real easy, Bill. It's free food and circus. During the uh, during the day, they hang out in the brush. They watch the kids. They're amused. They're entertained. During the and but during the night, they hit out for that dumpster and they'll find whatever uh, whatever to eat that the kids didn't that day. Yeah, opportunistic. And yeah, I can only imagine from the perspective of a Bigfoot watching kids play, it's like free reality TV, right? It's something to pass the time. (laughs) Like us going to the monkey house at the zoo, man. That's right, just reversed. Uh, I do have two questions for you, and however you choose to answer is is okay. I just have to get your opinion on this. You know, a hot debate within the Bigfoot community seems to be, you know, you have half the people subscribing to the idea that these are animals, these are flesh and blood creatures. Uh, and then you have the other side of the coin where some people are claiming these are there's a paranormal or interdimensional aspect where they can disappear and reappear or pop through portals. And then you have the other people who say they're related to flying saucer phenomenon. Where, where do you fall on that? Are you squarely in the camp of these are flesh and blood animals? These are flesh and blood undiscovered or not undiscovered, but unrecognized by the science of North American primates. Uh, that also is spread out throughout the world. You know, there's different parts of the world like China, Russia, and areas like that. They also has sightings of these things. Uh, but they're an undiscovered primate. They are rare. Uh, uh, far as the, uh, I believe the term is called woo. Uh, far as that side of it, an old uh, uh, researcher who has passed away but was a mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Tom Rue, he said to me that is uh, that is lazy research. Uh, anytime, anytime you come up a, uh, to a question that you don't have an answer to, and and uh, just put it to the world that it has to be, you know, a, a extro- uh, something from the other world. I mean, mankind's been doing that forever. I mean, you know, why does the sun raise from the east and, go, and sits in the west? Well, that must be the god Apollo in his, in his fiery chariot going for making his daily rounds, right? Um, you know. Then, then you get somebody like Copernicus, Copernicus, who does the research and is like, well, you know, we're just, we're floating around the sun and the moon floats around us. And, you know, you have these celestial bodies. So, yeah, it's it's important that we all do our research and ask these questions. Now, the other question that I have for you, and again, any answer is okay. Uh, you know, you, you're hearing a lot of these cases anymore of, of these uh, creatures that people are referring to as dogmen or dogmen, oh. werewolf type creatures. Uh, what it, do you have a take on that? I mean, if I've heard so many stories, it's making me wonder, you know, these first-hand eyewitness accounts, and I'm like, hell, if there's an unknown primate, is there an unknown canine out there? I think that, A, it would be, I think we have a whole lot of misidentification, probably for the majority, but when they do run into a Bigfoot, you know, uh, I mean, which, uh, which one have you seen on the movies more, a werewolf or a Bigfoot? Yeah, that's that's a good question, too. So when you are flipped out like that, and believe me, I've been there, done that on the flip outside, uh, which one does your mind uh, go to that it can relate, uh, what image in your mind can 
what would it go to, to that you can relate to as the big hairy monster? The yeah, werewolf. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I don't know. I think we think whatever we believe, whatever we believe to help ourselves sleep better at night. So, you know, I, Actually, you know, big, I'm, I'm, I'm more at ease with Bigfoot than I am a big old canine. So I don't know if that would help me go to sleep or not. <laughs> I, I tell you what, the thought of Bigfoot is, is less frightening to me than a bipedal wolf walking around. I can, I can tell you that much. And right. maybe it's because we've had more time to get used to the idea of, of Bigfoot or, I don't know what it is, but a, a bipedal wolf just kind of makes my skin crawl. But I, I had to ask nonetheless because, you know, you got a lot of people asking and reporting about that as well. Um, so you got any expeditions coming up, Ron? I know, I know you can't divulge, uh, but I assume you're out there every chance you get doing some hiking and doing some poking around, seeing what you can find. Uh, we got, um, it's not BFRO, but we got, uh, we got to get together. We got to get together. They're coming in October. You know me, it's October. Uh, <laughs> plus, um, uh, plus, uh, I'm, I'm I'm part of a uh, uh, a conference, the Ozark Mountain Conference in Ozark, Missouri, and um, and you know, the, and I got this, I got a few fires in the iron, and I'm also headed up to uh, in the the latter part of September and the first of October. I'm headed to uh, uh, southern co- uh, Colorado, north part of uh, New Mexico, and uh, and and I'm going to uh, well, I'm going to go squatching with the with the uh, Apaches, you know. So that's going to be fun. And, well, uh, you I, know, I've I think before though. Gotcha. Well, I don't know. You know, you get teamed up with with uh, native americans and i think it ups your odds of maybe finding something because they seem to have a, an intuitive connection not just with the planet but with uh with sasquatch so uh keep us posted if anything happens and hopefully by the next time i have you on the show you'll have another encounter to share with us well the thing is about native americans it isn't so much that they have any special connection than what you and i would have but the thing is they are more in uh I guess the word you said in tune with it as they see it as, as a matter of fact, you know, you bring up Bigfoot in, in a, in a group of non native Americans and they're like, oh, okay, you bring it up with them, but you know, has, uh, as an area that's known to it, no matter what tribe it is. Oh yeah. My cousin or, or yeah, uh, we saw one a couple of weeks ago as a matter of fact, you know, so, yeah, just part of the animal kingdom to them, you know, just part the same you would see a bald eagle or or a deer or anything else. Yeah. Well, Ron, you you have more stories than uh, you need to write a book is what you need to do. But you have a lot of great stories. We'll have you back on the show next season in season five. We'll let you hog the spotlight for an hour, hour and a half. And we'll we'll get some of the lesser known stories, which I'm, I'm sure are just as good. But uh, thanks for coming right. on. So strange. And we appreciate your time. Andy, don't be a stranger. Get your butt back down here to the Ozarks. Yes, sir. Will do. I'll be looking forward to it, okay? All right. Thanks, Ron. Bye. Thanks again to Ron for coming on the show and getting this season finale started off on the right foot. Pun intended. See what I did there with the, uh, with the, the Bigfoot joke, the Bigfoot reference? Anyways, uh, perhaps it's appropriate that we started this episode off with some talk about Bigfoot, 
Because after all, this is a big show. We've got a lot of ground left to cover, and our journey has only begun. So perhaps we should jump right into my interview with our next guest. And truth be told, it feels kind of strange to call her a guest, considering she's just one branch over on the Myers family tree. Okay, I'd like to welcome Elizabeth Myers to the show, and if that last name sounds familiar, this is my sister, my own flesh and blood, <laughs> my kin. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How the hell did it take me to season four to have you um, on the show? You know, I was going to ask, but I didn't <laughs> want to be rude. You're like, here I am, I have stories. Yeah. Hey, I'm intuitive, too. For anybody listening... intuitive rel- relatives. Yeah, who would have thunk? Yeah, but for anybody right? listening, uh, and some of you may know, but Elizabeth is my amazing younger sister. We shared an office for the better part of a decade. She is an intuitive healer, a, hypno- a hypnotherapist. She does a lot of really cool things uh, for a lot of amazing people. She's a little miracle worker. And oh. in addition to all that, you, you had cool stories. You have a plethora of stories you're going to share, four I of do. them to be exact. Yeah. And you're going to scare us a little bit. You're going to lift our spirits well, a little bit. We've got a little variety you know, going on here. Yeah, there could be laughing. There could be crying. There could be awe and wonder. We just don't know yet, do we? Well, where do you want to start? Do you want to inspire people with a, a kind of sign from heaven story? Or do you want to terrify people with the face in your the face in your face story? <laughs> Is that what we're yeah, calling it? That's a- the face in your, <laughs> there's a face in your face. The face in my face. I think when I texted you, I I put bald man in my face. Bald man. So let's start here. Who was this? Who was this bald man? What did he want? Why was he bald? I want all the details. You know, I don't know why he was bald. Probably a recessive gene on the mother's side, I'm assuming. Like, I don't, I don't know. But um, I'm sure he was lovely. Um, Okay, so a little backstory. So this was back in, I would say, probably 2013. So it was when my ex-husband and I had just moved into um, our house at the time. And it was probably a few months after we had been in the house. And, um, you know, and I guess going back even further, you know, just my whole life I've been intuitive, you know. And we've talked about this many a times, of course, that, you know, being intuitive, but we didn't really talk about it until we were teenagers, right? Like we didn't quite understand what intuition was or what we were sensing, you know? And um, so my whole life I've had intuitive experiences and similar experiences to this, but this is kind of a startling, jarring, kind of funny one. So anyways, okay, so 2013, I'm sleeping, newly married and um, sleeping in bed by myself my ex-husband had been working he was bartending that night and i want to say it was probably about two o'clock in the morning and i'm just startled awake and i open my eyes and there's a man in my face now this man um he looks like howie mandel (laughs) howie mandel you're supposed to be on deal or no deal what are you doing scaring my sister but this guy, I mean, he, he, I think he was friendly. He didn't, I didn't get like an unfriendly vibe from him, but I mean, complete lack of personal space, man. You know, so, um, right How in my his face. Breath? How was his breath? Did he try to kiss you? Do I need to beat him up? Oh, Cause I know. will do my due diligence as your older brother. Oh, I, I, to- I know you will. But you're too gentle of a soul. You could never well, beat another I'd sage him. I'd sage him right out of there. 
get the sage spray. <laughs> so did he, uh, did he say anything? So he didn't, he didn't look say menacing. Okay. He was just, so no, he did it. And he, his energy wasn't scary. He wasn't, he didn't say anything. He didn't really look scary. Um, but as soon as I saw him, like I knew he wasn't on, on, you know, earth side, I knew he was a ghost an entity, like he was something. Um, and I screamed immediately and I threw the covers over my head. Um, and, uh, the first thing I did after that was I grabbed my phone to text my husband who I was pretty sure was home, wasn't entirely sure. And, uh, I texted him and I said, are you awake or are you home? Are you home yet? And he said, I'm, I'm downstairs and having a snack before I come to bed. And I said, well, can you come up now? Because there's a bald man in my face. Because <laughs> Howie Mandel paid me a visit from the spirit world. Holy and, <laughs> and of course, at this point, he was kind of used to all the, the weird shenanigans. But um, yeah, he I don't know what this man wanted. I don't know where he came from. I rarely ever asked, you know, any of the the ghosts and people that would just pop up to me. I'm sure they're just passing through. No one ever felt threatening to me. Um, but he was just kind of there. He was a little chubbier than Howie Mandel and maybe a little more down to earth okay. just from what I could sense from less, his energy. Less Hollywood glitz and glamour less, and just mm -hmm. a little more, little more everyday person guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, still startling, alarming. I mean, you ask anybody who's had a moment like this where a spirit visitor un unexpectedly just pops up, it'll it'll scare you. It'll it'll get your heart rate going and even if the person meant no harm, it's just kind of that the the shock factor of the unexpected. Well, even if it were someone I knew in my face as I had opened my eyes, I'm pretty sure I would have had the same reaction. Like, not cool, you know. Not cool. Uh, ever, not cool at all. But Has Guy ever been in your face or like stood right next to your bed when you've woken up before? Uh, thankfully, she hasn't. But the thing with her is she's a, she does something else that's scary in her sleep. She she's a sleepwalker, and uh -huh. so uh, just the other day, actually, I, I was just just got in bed listening to a podcast, and her bedroom door opens, and then she walks into her playroom, which is like her gaming room, and she closes uh -huh. the door, and I'm thinking, oh boy. <laughs> so I go in there. She stand, She has a remote control in her hand, and she's standing in the middle of the room looking utterly confused. And I said, Sky, sweetheart, you're sleepwalking. And she looks at the remote like she doesn't know how it got in her hands, and she kind of chuckles, and she's like, I'm going to the bathroom now. <laughs> <laughs> and then even, even after she came out of the bathroom, she had no idea where she was or what she was doing. And she does this oh every now and gosh. again, which is creepy in its own right because I'm seeing a vacant expression in her eyes i'm like right okay she's you right know, lights lights are on but nobody's home yeah um, totally but speaking of your children speaking of your kids yeah. um proud mom of of two little humans finley and reed yep. and you do have a story that involves them and this is this is a really cool experience can you walk us yeah. through what happened? yeah so this happened the first time this happened i actually i tried going back through my text messages to see when this happened the first time and it was about a year ago maybe a little bit over a year ago and it's happened a couple of times since but um there is one night i was home and sleeping by myself and the kids were with their dad this particular night and um i woke up like real suddenly and um, I just heard like a bang against my door or against the wall next to my bed. 
And as soon as my, I opened my eyes, it was like I could sense and, and see Finley and Reed. And it was like they were, it was almost like they had to run into my room and like ran into the wall and were just like there and like really excited to be there. And um, like I could kind of see like an outline of them, but more than anything, it was like I could sense their energy stronger than I could see anything. And I could almost, I don't know that I was audibly hearing laughing, but it was like I was sensing laughter and I knew exactly what was going on as soon as I opened my eyes and was aware of their presence. I knew that they were astral traveling. Like I just, I instantly just knew, instinctually knew. And um, so I was like, that was weird and kind of cool, you know? So I was like, okay, don't forget this. Don't forget this. I went back to sleep. And the next day, um, their dad had taken them to school the next day. And so I picked them up that that next day. And I did ask Finley after school, um, you know, I said, Hey, I had a, I had a dream that you and Reed came and visited me last night. I said, did you guys come visit me in your dreams? And he just looked kind of confused. And he said, No, I don't think so. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I went and picked up Reed later, and um, said the same thing to him on the car ride back to the house. And I said, you know, did you guys come and visit me in your dreams? And um, he said, no. And then, but he kind of stopped and he just like, he looked kind of like puzzled. And I could tell he was like thinking. And he goes, but I did have a dream that Finley and I um, came to your house and we, we drove a car and it was really, really fast though. We came to your house and um, we went real fast and came in, and visited you in your bed. And so I think he remembered the astral traveling, of course, remembering it as a dream. And um, I just, it, it made me so happy. <laughs> but I mean, what an innocent way to phrase it in, in terms mm-hmm. that a kid can understand, you know, how do you, when you're a child, how do you even describe an out-of-body experience where your spirit is traveling? And we went in a car that went really, really fast. And then we were at your house in my dream. Yeah. It's, right. It, it makes sense. Um, right. And and the thing I remember him saying, too, is he said Finley was driving. So I think what that he probably what he meant by that is Finley was directing them. You know, like yeah. they were they were together. They were coming to see me and, Finley, you know, and uh, it was just it was so cool. And then, you know, like, gosh, I want to say, like, maybe less than six months later, same thing happened again. Um, Maybe not quite as alarming. And this time, instead of hearing like a big bang, I kind of felt them both jump onto my bed. Like I physically felt like they were in my house and like they had jumped on my bed. And again, they were at their dad's house and, um, and it was both of them. It was the two of them. And um, what's even more interesting um, is again, later this same night, like maybe an hour later, um, I sensed Reed, not Finley, but Reed, uh, who's younger, he's seven and, um, or almost seven, but I, I sensed him just jumping on my bed again, like, you know, a little while later. And, uh, so that was kind of cool. And then it did happen like maybe, I don't know, a few months ago, kind of the same, I mean, kind of all the same experience, same thing. 
and uh, it was so, pretty cool. So <clears throat> what I'm hearing is you can't even catch a parenting break <laughs> in your sleep. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> they are with an, me all the time. <laughs> all the time. Even on the astral plane, they need something from you. <laughs> like if they're not making me play the sports and the football and the baseball, like they're waking me up, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I guess in the next lifetime, maybe you'll get more sleep. Uh, but yeah. it, it, it's it's interesting. It is really interesting that kids, like adults, have the ability to, you know, basically separate the body, mind, and spirit. And I guess when the body's resting in bed, the spirit can go wherever it wants. And totally. the, the spirit of those children want to be with you. So, yep, yeah. Yep. And I get it. But have you ever asked, can you astral travel? Like, I feel like you've told me before you've done it, like you could intentionally do it. Yeah, uh, back before I got uh, spiritually lazy, you could call it back. I, I, <laughs> I did a long time ago. I used to meditate for myself. Nowadays, I only meditate for other people generally. But yeah, back when I used to meditate for myself, I would do these out-of-body astral travel type um, experiences. And I guess somewhere along the line, I became kind of a control freak. And I was like, man, I don't even, I don't know where I'm going. Maybe I shouldn't do this. No, it, it, but it is interesting. And, and for me, the most, I don't know, interesting astral experience I ever had was when I was asleep and I heard a loud boom outside my in in the neighborhood of where I lived and the the crash the boom was so loud it actually woke me up out of a dead sleep and what was really alarming is moments later I started hearing emergency vehicles fire trucks ambulances and it's it's also weird that when the boom when I heard the audible boom I was having a dream about a silver car crashing into a telephone pole and I was like, oh, my God, like, did I was I actually astral traveling in my neighborhood to witness this? So the next day I get to work and I ask another coworker who also lived in our neighborhood. I said, hey, did you hear like a loud boom around, you know, like three o'clock in the morning? She said, oh, yeah. Didn't you see on the news a silver car crashed into a telephone pole and it blew the transformer? Oh, and my gosh. So somewhere in the astral plane, I haven't tra I hadn't traveled terribly far beyond my neighborhood because I witnessed this and heard it as it was happening in live time. Like, so was, I wonder, were you coming back to your body? Were you leaving your body? Like, how did you, I have so many questions. You think I would have been like in Estes Park or, you yeah, know, somewhere, somewhere more interesting. Yeah. Go somewhere fun. No, but <laughs> hanging around. in Omaha. I was hanging around 66th and, um, you know, Maple Street and Benson. Um, I mean, if anywhere, you should go to like Europe and watch a soccer game, you know? Hey, oh, that's what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> But okay, so from the astral travel, we do have another another story. I believe it has to do again with your children. Yeah, was it was it Reed who was yeah. saying that 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 name that he had never heard before? Yes. Okay. All right, so, so walk us back, walk us back to the beginning of this yeah. next story. And I would say between the two of my kids, Reed, who's younger, he's six and a half, about to turn seven. Um, he's definitely more intuitive. Like I just get more of an intuitive sense with him than my older one. And, um, so, and, and again, he's the one who remembered the astral traveling. So it doesn't surprise me. Just home one day and I heard him making just kind of a noise repeatedly. Like he was, he was making a noise or saying something over and over, like as kids do. And I wasn't, I wasn't really paying attention to him. And then once I started hearing what he was saying, I, I was kind of stunned because he was going boom, pa, boom, pa, boom, pa. And as you know, boom, pa was our grandpa. Our, it's what we called our grandpa. So our dad's dad. 
And um, and he passed, for everyone listening, he passed back in the early 90s, and that was his name was Clarence, but we called him Boompaw. Obviously, Reed, what year was Reed born? Yeah, 2016. And I mean, I barely remember Boompaw. Like, I only have, I was five, maybe six when he died. So, like, I have very few memories of him. I only have just like two to three memories. And they're just kind of a- like. It's such a specific name, though. It's not like people call their grandma Nana or Nona or, you know, these endearing right. terms for grandparents. I, I, I've never heard anybody else use the word boompaw. No, no, not at all. And so I said to Reed, I said, what are you saying? And I, like, I wanted him to slow it down to make sure I knew what he was saying. And he said, boompaw. And I was like, why are you saying that? And he just throws his hands up in the air and he was like, I don't know. And I was like, huh. I was like. Well, I said, did you know that we used to call my grandpa Boompa? I said, did you know that? And he was like, no. And um, and he continued saying it. And then he even started doing it later in the day and like the next day and a couple days after that. He he did it a few more times and he eventually stopped. But, um, you know, to my knowledge, I can't remember anyone talking about Boompa, um, you know, prior to this. And uh, so I don't I don't know. Maybe that was just Boompa coming through and kind of whispering his own name in, in Reed's ear and said, go at it, kid. <laughs> Perhaps, because uh, as yeah. we know, young children are essentially walkie-talkies that allow us to communicate with the spirit world, and, and sometimes they do so unknowingly. You know, they just, they're on the same frequency as somebody who's passed away, and that word or name or thought pops into their head, and as kids do, they just they just say what's on their mind without right. thinking. And then just as quickly, they go right back into kid mode. Like, I don't know, can I have a popsicle? Like, I don't, right, I don't exactly. know why I'm saying those words. <laughs> anyway. Exactly. So it was, it was really funny. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it just, it kind of, it made me happy, made me laugh. It made me happy. So the other story that you have uh, was a, a ghost lady, a ghost lady. And was this yeah. in the same house with the Harry, yeah. Howie Mandel incident? <laughs> Yep, sure was. That that bedroom was kind of like a hotbed of like paranormal activity. Um, so yeah, so this was like the, the I want to say it was the first week we moved into that house. And the house when we moved in it into it, and especially the, um, the master bedroom just kind of had heavier energy. And the person who lived there before us, I know was like in foreclosure. So I don't know. It just lots of heavy energy in the house that we cleared out or I'm sorry that I cleared out. But um, so first night we're there and, you know, I opened up my eyes kind of middle of the night, maybe midnight one, something like that. And I see a woman standing at um, at the foot of the bed. And now sometimes when I see spirits in the middle of the night, I can kind of see them just like I see you in the daytime. You know, I see them just clear as day. I see what they're wearing. Um, and it's like they're not dark or a silhouette. I just, I see them perfectly. And she was standing there. And my first thought was, because this was the first night in our new house, my first thought was, oh my God, we have a squatter in the house. Like someone came out of the attic, like the homeless person or, you know, like someone who's in need of a home was holed up in our home somewhere. Right. And came out in the middle of the night to watch us sleep because naturally, you know, why not? Crazy so things my, have happened, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So that was my first thought. And, and I knew she was uh, kind of a, an entity or, you know, a ghost, um, a spirit of some kind. 
And um, I watched her walk to my husband's side of the bed. And um, she was like watching me the whole time she did this. And I did not like her vibe, but um, I didn't sense like danger or anything like that. So she walks to his side of the bed and she slowly starts like leaning down like she was going to kiss my husband. And, and I sat up in bed and I was like, and this is where, you know, I kind of went back to what Chip Coffee told me years prior. Where like, you know, if you have spirits, you have ghosts that, that come into your home, you need to set boundaries with them and you tell them what's allowed and what's not. So I sat up in the bed and I said, get the F out of my house. I didn't say F, I said the word. And uh -huh. I said, get out of my house. And she slowly just backed it, she backed up, which was right into the master bathroom. And she just kind of disappeared into the darkness and she was gone. And she never came back, um, but it was creepy. <laughs> I don't think I went to sleep for a few hours after that, but um, my husband slept right through it. He didn't, he didn't wake up at all. So, um, yeah, I'd say that's crossing yeah. the boundary. A ghost trying mm -hmm. to kiss your husband. I'm glad yeah. he didn't wake up and think that you were shouting at him to get the F out of there because he's probably <laughs> like, what did I do? I was just sleeping. And again, he was like so used to all the, the weird things happening, you know. And that's also, so in this house too, like I also woke up a few times and um, and would see dad like standing in the doorway. And, um, and I always would know it was dad, but it always just, it, it was just kind of alarming and it would make me feel kind of uncomfortable. So I kind of asked him to stop doing that. Um, you know, and I know he's just popping in to say hi. Did I ever tell you about the first time I ever saw dad? No, no, please do. And for anybody yeah. listening, our, our dad also passed in the nineties at 90, he passed in 97 when you were only 12 years old. I was 11. Was 11 years old. Yeah. What was, mm -hmm. so what was the first time that he ever visited you? Okay. So the first time I ever saw him, I was 18 and okay. So this was a summer and mom was out of town. She was on vacation and it was just you and I still living at home. And, uh, you of course were having a party because mom was out of town. I would never, you would never. And, uh, so you were having a party. I was starting a new job the next day and I like desperately needed to go to sleep. Well, you guys were partying below my window of the bedroom that I slept in. So you were like, Hey, just go sleep in my bedroom. So I was like, okay. So I went and slept in your bed in your bedroom so I could get some quiet sleep. And I opened up my eyes and just saw dad standing in the middle of the room. And it was so alarming to me <laughs> like that. That was probably towards the beginning of, you know, waking up and seeing spirits and, and, and dad, I mean, that was the first time I had seen him too. And while it was kind of comforting, it was, it was very scary to me though, too. I don't, I don't think he meant to scare me. I think he was just there. Um, and maybe he didn't even mean, you know, for me to be able to see him. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know, but, um, I, he didn't, I didn't, he didn't cloak himself good enough. He was, uh, yeah, yeah. he had the transparency, you know, set to the highest level. He should have turned it down a little bit, you know? Well, um, and you know, dad, he's like, he was such a jokester. So like, I'm sure he would have just loved the fact that I, I got scared because he was always scaring me somehow. 
Well, one of two reasons he showed up. He either showed up to wish you good luck as you started your new job, or he was there for the party that I was throwing, because you know <laughs> him. He probably had a beer in his hand. So Yeah, he definitely had a, a Miller High Life in his hand and a cigarette <laughs> in the other. <laughs> <laughs> and a crisp printed off resume for you to take to your interview. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, yeah. I'm not sure if you ever told me if you ever told me about that, and I, I don't. Really? Uh, yeah, and you may have, and I had forgotten. You know, get lost in the shuffle of all the all the other good spirit and ghost stories. But man, yeah. this has been a journey. This has been an emotional roller coaster, sis. You've taken us you up know? and down, and you've scared us, and you've inspired us, and yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's there's there's a lot more stories I have, um, you know, but uh, those are kind of the the main ones that are most entertaining, I guess. And uh, so, yeah. Well, let's not wait four more seasons to have you back on the show. I'm pretty sure we'll have you back for a full length episode as we kick off season five in the weeks to come. But hopefully everyone listening enjoyed those wonderful stories from my sister Elizabeth. And thanks for being on the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I want to say thanks again to my sister Elizabeth for making time to come on the show. I had actually forgotten about some of her experiences with seeing our dad in spirit form, but that just goes to show you how important it is, you know, for family members to discuss happenings like this. Family lore and legend uh, tends to get lost in the shuffle unless these amazing stories are documented. So I'd like to encourage all of you to share your ghostly encounters with open-minded family and friends. You can write down your experiences or create an audio recording of the incident. And that way it kind of cements that legacy for younger generations so that someday a long time from now, people can read or listen to the strange things that you've experienced throughout your life. But despite my sister's tendency to attract spirits, she also attracts plenty of people that are needing help. And again, she's an intuitive healer and she's also certified in hypnosis. Uh, so here's a brief explanation of the services that she offers. Um, so I am a hypnotherapist and an energy worker, an energy healer. So with uh, hypnosis, I think a lot of people, um, you know, need a little explanation and, and uh, further, you know, details on what hypnosis is. But basically, hypnosis is quieting the conscious brain um, with the use of relaxation. And when we get that conscious brain to relax... Um, we're then making direct contact with that subconscious brain. And the subconscious is where we keep all of our habits, our emotions, and anything else that's 
you know, rooted or ingrained in us. And so in this state of hypnosis, um, we can make suggestions or give directions, um, just kind of flip the script to create these instinctual habits, um, these behaviors and thoughts that you want instead. So, um, you know, we can use hypnosis for more than just weight loss or smoking, which I think is kind of what people think of most when they think of hypnosis, but it can be used for anxiety, um, stress management, sleep, um, increasing creativity. I mean, basically anything that, that you want to change, let go of or improve, um, in your life. So, um, so my website is healingsbyelizabeth.com and there's more information on there about hypnosis as well as um, energy healings that I offer. Christy Peterson, welcome to the season four finale of So Strange. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, we've had Christy on before for anybody listening and she was just such a hit. We had to have her back. And we may not get her for as long as we did last time, but she just has a plethora of stories. And previously, you, we talked about your your film, the documentary that was made about your life, which is titled We Are Not Alone. And this time, we're going to have a, a slightly different angle. So you would like to talk about uh, a spirit visitor who delivered a message to you. And also, you have a kind of a spookier ghost story, correct? Right. <laughs> well, which one do you want to start with? Dealer's That's Choice. Perfect. Yeah, let's start with the ghosty one because it's uh, it was in your old neighborhood as, as well as my old neighborhood and in, in the Benson neighborhood of Omaha, and I'm sure you're familiar with the old pizza shop. <clears throat> the old <laughs> the, pizza shop, yeah. yeah. But back in the day when I was just a little whippersnapper, yeah, that's that's actually where I did one of my very first uh, psychic shows performances was at the pizza shop or the PS Collective is is what they would call it. Yeah, Haunt, haunted as all get out from what I've heard though. It is so haunted. And the owner and I are friends. And she'd say, you know, they would shut the music off at night and it would show up and then set the alarms off. She'd have to come down. So they ended up unplugging all of the musical equipment and it would still turn on in the middle of the night. It was just crazy. So, of course, and you and I have talked enough where I said, I don't like to be scared. Even though I talk to dead people all day, I don't like to be scared. But I must have been... I don't know, a little, little bit of crazy one day. I'm like, okay, Amy, I want to see the basement. And so she took me to the basement of the pizza shop, and we were chatting about something, and right next to me, this rocking chair just started going like crazy. And I could feel this young boy that was just laughing because he knew it was going to scare the bejesus out of me. And he was just laughing his little hiney off. I'm like, get me out of here. And the minute I said that, the chair stopped. And it wasn't like it slowed down, like when you get out of a rocking chair. It stopped like somebody grabbed the back of it and had it stop, which you think would make me feel a little bit better. Yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> well, because at that point in time, I mean, you have something that kind of defies the laws of physics, because unless an invisible force did grab that chair to stop it on a dime, a chair can't just stop. It'll slowly dissipate until it stops rocking. So that was more sudden, more obvious. And somebody was just uh, kind of waiting to, to get your goat, as they used to say, just kind of get you all riled up, huh? Yep, little prankster spirit. So then, of course, I really want to tune into this guy. And... I got a whole story on him, and I don't know whether it's true or not. I never did the research to follow up on it, but he would have been 
probably a young to middle-aged teenager. And back in the day, because I saw him in, like, what a, you know, the short pants that they used to wear, the guys used to wear that they would buckle kind of right below the knee with the long stockings and kind of the little flat cap kind of thing. And he was running across Maple Street and got hit by a streetcar. And I thought, I didn't even know whether streetcars um, went through there. And evidently they did at one point. And so he was killed and they brought him in. And it used to be a store, like a little grocery store at the time, rather than the pizza shop as it was at that time. And he, he died there. And he's haunted it ever since. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, you have that image in your head with the, with the you know, knee-high pants and, and the flat cap and kind of takes you back to a, a simpler time and place. But, you know, may, maybe it wasn't so simple because they had their issues to deal with back then, including, you know, trying to dodge a streetcar. So the poor kid, maybe his soul's stuck at that location. You know, maybe he's looking for some closure or maybe he's made peace with what happened and he's just trying to have a sense of humor about it by messing with people like you when you go in there. I think so, because Amy had every kind of saging you could imagine, the Palo Santa, she even had an exorcist, exorcism happen in there, and nothing would get this guy out of there. It's like he was rooted in the pizza shop. And now, you know, there's a new new pizza place there, and I haven't been in there or talked to them, so I don't know whether he's still there or not, or if he was just connected to the pizza shop because people were so open-minded to the idea that it was haunted. But yeah, it was big time haunted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's kind of funny as a medium, as a person who talks to spirits for a living, you don't like to be scared. Let's talk about that a little bit more. So you don't do scary movies? No, no, I will never do. I don't do violent movies and I don't do scary movies. And people will say, oh, but this isn't bad. This is just a little bit I'm like, no, mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the violence, I'm with you on that one. You try watching some things that are admittedly really good, whether it be Yellowstone or Game of Thrones, but once it crosses a violence threshold, it's like, I'm I'm out, you know? Yep, I can't, I can't do violence and I can't do scary. Uh, what about, you know, Halloween haunted attraction? How do you feel about, you know, clowns chasing you with chainsaws? Is that off the table too? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, Christy. I'm a, I'm a big chicken myself, so... <laughs> And you think I talk to dead people all day long, you think I would be used to it. But you know the difference. When you're doing a session with someone, the deceased, they come through with nothing but love, messages of love and peace and clarity. And it's all lovely, lovely messages. On the other side, you say, yeah, no, I'm not going to be dragging any of that stuff home with me. No, thank you. <laughs> but you have had an interesting life, to say the very least. I mean, from you know, from your rise to becoming a, a psychic medium and a channel to all the boatload of extraterrestrial encounters that you've had. Uh, you know, it's it. I guess that's eventually the, the paranormal becomes the normal, correct? Right. It does. And, you know, I see things and I'll mention them to people and they're like, what are you talking about? And it's like, you can't see that person right over there. And I do. I take it for granted that they're there because it is. It's just a very thin veil between us and them and i forget that most people can't see that or can't feel it well and you got to be careful too i mean maybe less so nowadays compared to generations past but going back a hundred years there were still psychics there were still mediums but 
Back then, you had to be careful what you said, because if you talk too much to people who are invisible, they'll put you in a straitjacket. You know, you're going mm-hmm. you're going to the facility on the big hill up there and, and you're going to be locked up. So I'm glad we're evolving and progressing a little bit past that as a society. But, you know, it's still it, it makes for an interesting career nonetheless, doesn't it? There's not no such thing as a boring day. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So, um, so you had that experience with with the, the the ghost at the at the pizza shop. There's another experience that you want to tell us about a, a spirit visitor that kind of lingered after one of your uh, professional appointments to offer you some clarity. This was crazy, and I have spirits that show up before a session appointment just to let me know that they're going to be there for the session. And it got to the point where they'd show up in the middle of the night, and I wasn't getting any sleep. So my mantra when I would go to bed at night is, no dead people. (laughs) (laughs) I needed to get my sleep. But after a session, I really never had anybody show up until this one instance. And this was... um, it was local to Omaha, so I'm not going to use any names or even genders, but this um, individual was in for a, a session to connect with a deceased loved one. Came through, everything was fine. At the very last couple of minutes, this person said, well, I want to connect to my niece. And it's like, you know, tick tock, we're running out of time here. And I said, okay, well, I've got her here. Um, she's showing up for me, and she's telling me that she gets in bed with her parents and she sings to them. And he's like, well, no, she's really not a singer. So I don't know what that's about. And I said, okay, and now she's showing me a big picture of the Titanic. I know she wasn't on the Titanic. I don't know how this is connecting. He goes, yeah, I don't know either. And, you know, what was a really good session just kind of went, (laughs) and, you know, you feel horrible because it's so clear. And they're not getting it. I'm not getting it. So we ended the session. And... I went then for my walk that I try to take every single day and this niece popped through to me and she's like wanting to shake my shoulders. She goes, it's the song from Titanic. It's the song from Titanic. That's what I sing to my parents in bed. And I couldn't even remember the song. So I went home and I Googled, what's the song from Titanic? It's my heart will go on. And I looked at all the words, you know, near, far, wherever you are, you know, my heart will go on. So I sent a text to this person and I said, she came through again and it's the song from Titanic that she sings to her parents. Does that help clarify? And he said she was a heart transplant patient. <laughs> really? So her heart, did the heart did go on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. How cool is that? Isn't that amazing? And it's like, I'm so glad she came through. And, and you know, when I say it, he answered very nicely that she was a heart transplant. But I, I'm leaving out all the expletives that he had before him. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is crazy. He's, I'm at the store buying flowers to take to her grave right now. <laughs> Holy cow. And it feels good, you know, both for your client and for yourself and you know, to to have that validation because, you know, you didn't want to leave him with a piece of information that didn't exactly hit home. Turns out it hit home in a major way. It did. And I'm so glad she came through because it's never happened before. It's never happened since that someone has come pop through after a session for clarity. So it's like, ah, thank you. I'm so grateful to her for that. But isn't that cool? 
<laughs> but yeah, that that that's truly that's truly remarkable. Validating both for you and for the other person. And you know the the whole topic of you know transplants, heart and otherwise. It's really interesting because there's been a lot of research done to suggest that. Uh, you know, an organ recipient can actually take on the personality traits and even memories of the organ donor. Yeah. And I think the implications of that are kind of huge because it proves that cells store memory. And it, it, it almost be the equivalent of taking a USB stick out of one computer, plugging it into another computer, and the data is still there, well, you know, from one body to the next. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I never thought about it that way. But yeah, and it, you know, how do you prove something like that? But it's as it's becoming so common right now to have organ transplants, we've got more and more witnesses to that. In fact, I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's quite astonishing. And we know very little about about our own bodies. We know very little about how things actually work in terms of the spirit world interacting with with this human world. And as you as you said yourself, the veil is is pretty thin now. Do you think the veil's getting even thinner in more recent times? Is that why we're having all these you know people who are having intuitive and spiritual and psychic moments? And is is that correlated with the, the all the ET sightings that are happening? What's what's your take on all that? That's a I know that's a big loaded question, but feel free to share what you want. <laughs> no, I absolutely think the veil is getting thinner, and more and more people are awakening and going on this spiritual path. And as they awaken. You know, their job now is to help raise the vibration of the planet so we don't destroy ourselves. And, I, yeah, absolutely, I think that's why we have more ET sightings. They are here, you know, to keep us from destroying ourselves. You know, and that goes into my last book, which is Messages from Ramadir. This is a kind of a freaky story <laughs> that uh, I was going to teach a class on automatic writing. And I thought, gosh, if I'm going to teach this class, I better make sure I can do it. <laughs> I kind of fly by the seat of my pants on occasion. And I put pen to paper, and I started writing. It said, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Ramadir. And I said, oh, are you one of my spirit guides? And he goes, no, I'm a spirit guide of your planet. Yeah, and so we started chatting just for a couple pages, and I thought, well, okay, I can go ahead now and teach the class. God, uh, maybe nine months later, I'm on a beach in California, and I'm journaling, and he, I heard, put your pen down, put your journal down, and we'll download information when you return. And the day I got back from my vacation, pick up your pen, pick up your journal. This is Ramadir, and you and I are going to write a book together. You're going to ask me questions, and we're going to take very esoteric information and put it in a language modern humans can understand. And so I'm like, okay. And I start writing, asking questions, and he's downloading information. And I could tell he was really frustrated that it was taking me so long to, to write. So I switched to the computer. And he said, you know, as soon as this book is out, you're going to start trans-channeling because it's so cumbersome for us to do that. The day the book was in my hand last March, he popped through during a session, a Reiki session that I was doing for someone, and started giving information. And so... I started with like four other healers coming to my living room to experience it. I'm like, how do you know I'm not making all this stuff up? And they said there is a palpable change in energy that comes through the room. And where people say they want to throw up because the vibration is so high, other people say their heart is like beating out of their chest the whole time he is inside me delivering messages. And he'll talk for maybe five, ten minutes or so and then open it up to questions. 
and you can ask personal, global, or galactic questions. And he comes through. Is that just, you know, and every time, it's so weird, then when he leaves at the session, I've got, you know, 20, 25 people staring at me. <laughs> like, what? Because <laughs> evidently I was napping in the back room or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe you just essentially stepped out of the way so he could come through, so to yeah. speak. But, you know, something, <clears throat> excuse me, something's only crazy until it's not, right? I mean, to, to have this ability to demonstrate it in front of a live audience that's you know that's something really special and but a, a spirit guide for the planet that i mean that phrase left me with goosebumps but i i am happy to to hear though that he wanted to put all this esoteric you know thoughts and and you know wisdom into layman's terms because uh spare us the nostradamus interpretations right yeah <laughs> with the quatrains that's like, the I don't quatrains. Even that yeah so yeah Simple terms are best because uh, at the core, us humans are still, uh, I think, I don't know, I think we're still an evolving, we're just a baby species. We're still trying to wrap our head around a lot of things. So anytime that a spirit or ascended master or spirit guide for the planet can make things simple for us, I'm all for it. Like, give me the kindergarten version, right? Exactly. And I mean, did you know our planet had spirit guides? I didn't. I, I had to say this, this is the first. I did not. But, yeah. you know, but again... Why? Why would it be impossible? You know, is there an overseer of of a planet? Maybe there's overseers of other planets. Maybe each galactic federation has their own, you know, platoon of spirit guides looking over their respective planet. Who knows? But it's just it's people like you who are at the forefront trying to make these discoveries. You know, sticking your neck out there with courage and confidence, and just saying, "Hey, you know, I'll I'll be a, a a torch carrier. I'll be a light a light bringer. You know, and it it takes a lot of gumption and courage to do that. So you know, we have to we have to give credit where credits due, Christy. Well, thank you. And I say the subtext of everything I do is courage. And if I can come out as a psychic medium, as someone who's had ET contact ghost experiences, you can come out with your stories too. Do we have time for a, a story that? Ramadir was letting me tell people before the book was published because to me this is so profound and when you said give it to you on a kindergarten level that's exactly what this story is but it's so profound he said life is very much like the child's birthday party game pin the tail on the donkey and I said okay and he said well, how would it be if you showed up at a party and someone gave you a tail and said see that donkey over there go pin the tail on it be like well what fun is that he said, what makes it fun is that you're blindfolded, you're spun around, and how do you succeed? You listen to the party goers going, you're warm, you're warm, oh, now you're cold, now you're hot. And you're so thrilled when you finally win and pin the tail on the donkey. And he said, in humans, in spirit form, we know exactly who we are. And when we come down into human form, it's like we've been blindfolded and spun around. So how do we succeed at learning the lessons that we came here to learn experience what we want to experience and accomplish what we want to accomplish we listen to our spirit guides they're the party goers they'll tell us when we're warm hot or cold isn't that cool i thought that was just the best story it is you know it's just like following that trail of breadcrumbs and kind of listening to that you know listen being quiet enough to listen to that inner whisper that's that's telling you whether you're hotter or colder but i i love that i mean simple childlike analogy and what? Uh, tell us again one more time, Christy, what's that book called where you channel him? It's called um, Messages from Ramadir, A Collective Hope for Humanity, because he's the voice of a collective. 
And so they all have the input, but he has the voice for it. And he's the one that I have the relationship with. Perfect. And that's not your only book. You also have another one called We Are Not Alone, correct? My Extraterrestrial Contact. I've got actually four books. So my first one is An Extraordinary Life. The second one was We Are Not Alone, My Extraterrestrial Contact. The third one is Between Earth and Heaven, A Beginner's Guide to Living a Spiritual Life. And number four is Messages from Ramadir, A Collective Hope for Humanity. And for anybody looking for a little bit of humor sprinkled throughout a book, uh, get a copy of Christie's because she's notoriously, uh, you know, she's she's famous for sprinkling a lot of humor into her books. Great sense of humor. So you can say sense of humor. Right? Some people call it twisted, <laughs> <laughs> but it's important to have that humor because you know you got to keep two feet on the ground when we're talking about these ethereal. Uh, spiritual, metaphysical, paranormal things. It's easy to lose focus, but it's that it's that sense of humor and it's it's that down to earth nature that I like about you, Christy. That you you have a good way of making people laugh and lifting their spirits at the same time. So, um, yeah, thanks. life is thanks. hard. Let's make it fun. Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks for being here on the season four finale of So Strange. Thanks for your time and all these wonderful stories. I, I'm sure everyone listening had a had a darn tootin' good time. <laughs> Thank you again so much for having me. I appreciate it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, thanks to Christy, I'll have that Celine Dion song stuck in my head for the rest of the day. My heart will go on. And so will this show. But before we keep this paranormal train barreling down the tracks, I just wanted to let everyone know that if you're interested in seeing the documentary that's based on Christie's encounters with extraterrestrials, the film is called We Are Not Alone, and it can be purchased on the streaming service known as Vimeo. And as fate would have it, our next guest on tonight's program is none other than Astara Raven, who not only helped produce the documentary, but also helped create the soundtrack for the film. So without further ado, you're about to hear my recent conversation with Astara, who shared with me some ghost stories that made the hairs on my arm stand on end. Okay, listeners, I bring to you Astara Raven. Astara, thanks for being on the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. You know, we welcome people who have interesting stories to tell, and you have a boatload of them. (laughs) <laughs> and you are an, an eccentric person in so much as you uh, have your fingers in a lot of different honeypots. You're an intuitive, you're an author, you're an energy worker. You, I mean, the list on your uh, resume and business cards is, is pretty lengthy. But aside from all of that wonderfulness, you do have a couple ghost stories, but perhaps not not your classical ghost story, correct? You have a fresh take on the phenomenon? Yes. Uh, one of my joys in life is to take a fresh take on pretty much everything, <laughs> which is why I am excited to say that I have a chapter in my book, How the Stars Tell Time, called Ghosts. 
And there are the classic ghosts, like the the specters or the discarnates, um, which is to say a spirit that's not in a body, that we can have some pretty amusing and scary and exciting and wondrous and head-scratching stories that we hear um, through your amazing podcast. And so I've got a few of those myself that started when I was young. And so I have actual ghost stories. But the more kind of creative ghost definition that I give, I actually got has a lot of layers that borrow from some of my shamanic leanings. So I had some training as a shaman or in shamanism, I should say. And it is um, the practice to look at life as a very simplistic and reduced point of view, which is, am I with power or am I reducing and diminishing or suppressing or have loss of power? And so on some level, all of us have a little bit of ourselves that have ghosted away. You know that feeling when people have the term, he ghosted me, she ghosted me after dating. <laughs> That's an actual thing we do to ourselves. So I have ghost stories that I've met um, out in the world of discarnates that is exciting and weird and uh, including floating objects and um, strange physical sensations I can't explain. But then I also have really a passion for soul retrieval, which in shamanism is just basically helping a part of us that got frozen in time come back home, quote unquote, to our soul or body so that we feel more whole and less power loss and more power with. I dig so, that. I dig yeah. that. And I, I like the play on words there too. Yeah. Uh, I do want to come back to the floating, floating objects. You've seen objects floating about on their own accord as if they had intelligent control. Can you, can you share with us uh, one or two of those events? Yeah, it happened in a really old building. So I lived on the East Coast for a stretch of time, about a year, when I was in my 20s. And I was in architecture school. And I was studying with a whole bunch of folks that were strange eccentrics like me. Most people that are drawn to architecture are a little nutty. So um, we were in this really old building built in the late 1700s. There are these old row houses where you've got about three or four levels and each each place is like its own flat and because of the history of this building you can imagine it's got a lot of energy and spirit in it <laughs> and some are actual haunted spaces so we didn't know this uh, a friend of mine used to have really strange dreams but we had just chalked it up to like how much she ate the night before so we um, went to hang out together we were watching a film and it was a film actually about alien, um, a man that came from outer space that was sort of dealing with the earth. And here we were watching this film about aliens. And um, as we were sitting there, a, a spoon lifted up from the coffee table and started to hover and move and waited till we all looked at it. And then it dropped back onto the table. And what is to me funny about this, and this says something about our age and where we were at, nobody talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> but we just... all looked at each other and went, let's just move on and keep watching the film. <laughs> and yeah. maybe there is a generational component there. I mean, you go back just a few decades, people were less likely to talk about this type of stuff. Now, yeah, that's a pretty loose, you know, encapsulation of this type of stuff. But I mean, anything from UFOs to psychic abilities to you know, interacting with the spirit world, it was just a little bit more taboo than it is today. So, but then again, you also hear these accounts, and I'm sure you've heard, heard stories like this as well, of a group, a whole group of people having an extraterrestrial 
encounter or a UFO sighting and they almost feel like they're under a hypnotic spell or something. Like everyone just goes back to their respective tents. Everyone goes to sleep. And then the next day, almost like a fog is slowly lifting. They're like, oh, by the way, do you guys remember what happened last night? That was weird, right? So in the moment, as you're seeing this spoon levitate off the off the table, I mean, were you were you clear headed? Were, were you scared? Were you excited? What was the emotions in the room? We were clear headed. We were um, just finished dinner. So maybe you could say all our blood was in our bellies. But uh, there was mostly just that chill 20 something, whatever. And we were all sitting there. And I remember saying at the moment, I said, are we not talking about this? And nobody responded to me. So I think I was the only one who said anything, but truly nobody responded. Uh, what's fun is once they left, my friend, uh, Shannon, who actually, uh, uh, lived in the flat and rented it out, she started talking with me about it. And the two of us just started striking it up. So sometimes people feel more comfortable one-on-one. -on -one, and I've even found that in my work, even if there's that group ethos of like, I'm not going to say a thing, or we're feeling that lull or pressure from the spirit itself of if we acknowledge it, it's real. And I'm so scared that I'm actually going to pretend it's not real. And uh, the two of us sat and talked and she started to share ghost stories that she's been experiencing in the space. And so she started telling me about all these things and the way the cat was behaving and stuff she would see and dreams she would have. And it just got revealed by that spoon levitation moment. Yeah. Well, sometimes ignorance is bliss. And depending on <laughs> A person and their upbringing and, and how much capacity they have in their head for new ways of thinking. Yeah, for some people, it's easier to just ignore. But like you said, for some individuals, it's just they open up a little bit more when it's one on one because the, the risk of ridicule sometimes is diminished when you're one on one. Yeah. And yeah. it just so happens that that was a time in my life when everything was starting to come alive. All my sight my inner knowing, my dreams, my visions, uh, strange occurrences, all the paranormal stuff was kicking in. In fact, I had a group of friends and we were a dream group. And our goal was to meet each other and have lucid dreams and report back to each other that we met. And we started to achieve it. I mean, it was a really exciting time. I was coming into my creativity, you know, all these things. So I look back and think how interesting out of my whole life, I could have had all these ghost experiences and maybe I didn't just ignored it, but that's when they started getting levitation level pronounced. Yeah. It, wow. I mean, and, and sometimes that's the case, you know, a person starts to open up intuitively and before you know it, that door to the spirit world that was cracked is now blown wide open and you're having all sorts of experiences. I do have to ask though, you know, because it's very rare that I've spoken with a person who actually consciously met up with uh, a friend in dream world and had this lucid dreaming experience. So with your, with your dream group, did you have some success? Were you able to meet at a certain place in the world or in dream world and have a little like real time rendezvous? Yeah. In fact, you've inspired me uh, where my book left off is around age 20. So this was about 23. So I need to go back to my journals cause I've journaled all of it and I need to kind of refresh and reboot my, uh, brain chip. But what I do recall is it was a male friend of mine. He was a, a local bartender and waiter. And a lot of my friends were waiters because we were young. And so that's like how they made their living. And we would meet on Monday nights. It was free beer night for the wait staff in town in Alexandria, Virginia. And we'd all scoot in, tell stories, and then say what our intentions were for the dream. And then we'd meet 
you know, either we'd message each other or, or meet up the next day, or we would meet up the following Monday at the next free beer night. <laughs> and I know. And so um, we ended up actually having an experience kind of in our city. Like it wasn't out in some, you know, uh, you know, the astral or, you know, this feeling of I was floating in the clouds or I was flying through. We actually had kind of a in shamanism, we call it the middle world of journeying, where you're actually in the 3D environment that you know. It's it's like the Calvin and Hobbes comic strips where he'd dream and then he'd wake up and realize he was still in the dream and he was in his room and then suddenly he was really awake. And it was one of those kinds of dream sequences where we either met up at the same bar or we were in you know a home or something that we were familiar circling with. So it was kind of 3D comfortable, but yet cool because we did both report seeing each other. Wow. And you know, I'm going to drop two movies here. Uh, not that this is a movie review podcast, but maybe that could be a spinoff show someday. <laughs> but you know, you're talking about dreams within dreams and it, it kind of reminded me of that. Uh, oh, it's, it's a little decade old by now perhaps, but it's a good one. Inception. Uh, oh, yes. Starring, oh, it has really good actors in it. I think Leonardo DiCaprio's in it. Yes. Uh, fascinating topic but also if we're taking a slightly different spin on the definition of ghost i would also like to drop the movie interstellar with matthew yes. mcconaughey and not to give any spoilers away but uh at the beginning his daughter is having some what seems like paranormal uh, experiences in her bedroom of objects moving on their own and at the end everything kind of comes full circle and you see well Maybe it's not paranormal so much as a scientific explanation that has to do with space and time. So yes. I don't know. Uh, what do you what do you think? I mean, technically, I mean, once you're in the spirit world, physics works a little bit differently. I mean, uh, it's it's supposed that you know there's two different types of haunting. If we're taking the classical explanation anyway, you have a residual haunting or an intelligent one. An intelligent one might be a deceased loved one coming back to you know, place a hand, a loving hand on your shoulder as you're crying, but a residual haunting may be seeing a rocking chair in the corner of the room that's going back and forth. And that's where good old grandpa used to rock and it still rocks on its own accord, almost like a timestamp or, or, or like a, uh, I don't know, like a record who's that's stuck on repeat and it's just replaying moments from the past. So that's, you know, it, it's fun to talk about this subject. Have you ever made physical contact with the spirit entity? You know, the way I look at it is, and this goes back to your earlier question of, because physical is three dimensions. So we have this sense of we live in the third dimension. And to me, dreaming is a dimensional experience. So although we oftentimes in our world would say, oh, it was just a dream. I would offer the shamanic perspective that this right now, you and I talking in the third dimension is actually also a dream and we dream it into existence through our consciousness and our creative choices. And so that sense of I go to sleep and I dream is actually just our brain willing to shut down for a moment, go into the Delta state and start to enter an av availability at a soul level to a different dimension than this one. And uh, my sense of physicality and kind of running up against a spirit was when I was a little bit like a year later from that story of the levitating spoon, I was at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo where I went to architecture school and the building also was around 125 years old. And so we're talking about these old buildings. They do have some of that residual 
energy. And I think it might fall in that camp. The movie Sixth Sense is another movie drop because in that movie, you see how people will loop through a, a kind of either a horror aspect of their lives, how they died, or they'll loop through a place that they can't let go of or a lament around something that had happened to them that didn't get expressed, like either their murder or, you know, some kind of big event. And so what I think had happened to me in hindsight was I was in a loop on a particular timestamp, literally on a day that would occur. And I didn't find this out from my roommates till the next morning. Thanks very much. Um, but cause they were out of town when this happened and they come back, you know, and they, they go, Oh yeah, of course. And I'm thinking, why didn't you tell me when I moved in? I didn't want to be alone when this happened. So it was a, a spirit that was haunted by its choices and was stuck in this time loop. And it would only happen on this time at this day in this one location of the house. And it was just so happened to be, although it was an old house, it was re renovated in the seventies and had this cool loft and I would climb up and sleep in the loft. And there was a rope that would be an easy ladder kind of hold place. So you'd kind of grab the rope knots and pull yourself up the ladder. And so it, there's nothing that would make the rope swing. It just laid against the wood paneling against the stair sort of ladder edge. And I fell into bed and all I heard was the thump, thump, thump of the rope. And I'm thinking, okay, this is impossible. I'm a pragmatic, I'm an engineering mind. So I get up and I think I'm gonna check the windows, I'm gonna check all the things and just suss this out. Well, it turns out it was the rope because I grabbed it and let go of it and heard the sound and went, oh my God, how is this moving this impossible? There's no way a breeze can move this, the weight of the rope is too heavy. And it was the angle of how it laid against the wood. And so when I got back into bed, it started again. You can imagine your, you know, your arm hairs are going up on end and you're thinking, this is impossible. And uh, at that moment, I felt this intense weight. I would say probably the equivalent of a male body literally pressing against my body, which is impossible. There was nothing visually above me. So I wasn't seeing a ghost, but I was feeling the ghost. And what I did is it's that sense in a dream where you can't make a sound. Like I kept pushing and pushing and trying to get the weight off of me. And I finally made a sound and said, no. And I pushed and the sound as if you could hear a body crashing to the wood floor on the other side of the loft happened. And there was nobody in the space. No windows were open. Nothing could fall. Nothing physically fell. So is it a physical sensation? It was, I felt it in my body. Did it make a sound? It made a sound. So it was sounds and a body sensation, but did it actually 3D happen? I don't know how to explain it. All I know, I've never been scared like that before. And so when the, when the roommates came back the next day, they reported, oh yeah, we have a ghost and it comes every time at this time of year. We're not sure what happened, but we don't think it was a good thing. And um, many psychic mediums, many intuitives stand in that very spot where the body fell and say something's happened here and it was dark and dogs will bark in that spot at that time of the year. And if there's like a gathering or people it like, and they've lived there for four years. So they're like, every every time we're sorry, we forgot to tell you. And I'm just going, Oh my gosh. <laughs> how do they, how do you leave that out? Oh, by the way, we have and, a ghost and it's going to be here when we're gone. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to pin you down. Like he's a WWE wrestler. Yeah. That's not cool. <laughs> Um, but like you said, you're pragmatic. You, you did your due diligence and trying to say, is it this? Is it that? Could it be the wind? But, you know, you get to a point, Astara, and everyone listening would agree, you get to a point where 
you trust your senses. You trust, you know, you have physical sensation, your sense of sight, smell, taste, touch. You felt the weight of it. Um, you know, when all of your senses start to tell you that you're having a real experience, there's only so long that you could, um, you know, be in disbelief before you realize, holy smokes, I'm actually being pinned down by a spirit entity. And what's interesting, and I, I say this in this order of events, because although it happened before, it was truly for me, not until the hindsight of this ghost experience and the confirmation from my roommates the next day, that I started to trust what I had seen that evening before this happened. We had a completely new rec center built for Cal Poly, and I love swimming. So I went to work out and swim in the new pool. And this is, um, you know, the C Central California, it's kind of between LA and San Francisco, half halfway and I'm swimming along doing my thing it's pretty empty not a lot of people know about it and I swear I saw spirits and ghosts along the base of the concrete edge of the pool like at the bottom of the pool standing and they just look like bubbles bubbling up around uh, the center of the pool and to me they look like First Nation or Native American outlines and I don't know how to explain it except maybe just like a sense of a, a kind of the way they were dressed and their garb and some of the things that were around them because it was bubbles. It's not like you can explain, oh yeah, it was First Nation. But I had that feeling almost like the movie Poltergeist, you know, where they had built this area over these land that had great history and the spirits were saying a thing or two about it through the hauntings. And so it wasn't anything menacing, but it was just scary because I thought, oh, it's just bubbles. Oh, it's just, and I kept convincing myself that what I was seeing wasn't real. And so when that happened that night, I mean, what are the odds, right? And so that next day I thought, I think I did see something at the bottom of the, that pool. I think they built it over some very historical land. So it's just wild. When are people going to learn you don't build rec centers on top of sacred <laughs> sites? Yes, you know? please. You know, and it just goes on and on because, you know, I, uh, back in January visited Denver, Colorado and all the locals kept telling me go to Cheeseman Park. I was on the hunt for haunted locations, went to Cheeseman Park, looked up the history. It used to be a potter's field, which is basically a cemetery or grave where they would bury homeless people, people with diseases, people who couldn't afford a proper burial. So you had thousands of bodies and then the city People are like, yeah, we got a great idea. Let's build a park on top of the cemetery. It's haunted as all get out. And what would you expect, right? Yes. Yes. And so my passion in life was to take all that interesting extracurricular knowledge that was slowly getting confirmed or I was getting the confirmation and the permission inside myself for, and then sort of think, okay, that's fine. I, I see a ghost or I know that they exist. Um, there ended up being a ghost in my house in Oakland where I lived and I didn't see her at first, but I couldn't hang out in my kitchen for months. I would like barely cook, barely go. I'm like, what's wrong with me? I love cooking. And it turned out a friend of mine who had very, very developed intuition. She said after she house sat my cat, she said, oh yeah, you have a ghost in your kitchen. And I just had not, I wasn't willing, you know, the permission wasn't fully there. And so I went in and it gave the ghost a tarot reading. And I set her free. And that's what Artifact Archaeology kind of started is I do it for buildings and lands. And as an architect, it's kind of a fun, you know, inner, inner joke with myself. But 
you know, we can help these ghosts that are stuck that have maybe didn't have a good life or had really difficult situation or felt imprisoned in their world. And we can help them go to the light, so to speak. So that's one of my joys in life is set the ghosts free, help them home. <laughs> I love that. I love that take. And also, I think it's pretty cool that you're an architect who does tarot card readings because that... <laughs> I, I'd be impressed if we could round up another single architect who also did tarot. That's got to be a weird combo there, but I dig it. <laughs> I am all about the weird combos. <laughs> well, uh, pragmatic mystic, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Orion and I, we both use that phrase because we realize that although the world has m plenty of wonderful mystics, we need pragmatic mystics. And ultimately, that's what I think really a shaman exhibits is somebody who can have their foot in multiple worlds and kind of navigate all of them. Yeah. And it takes uh, a certain person because, you know, with the metaphysical and the creative, you know, um, you know, it takes one part of your brain, the right brain, as many people say, which may be incorrect, but we're generalizing. And then you have the, you know, more scientific and rational and mathematical and science. And, and that's the, the left side of the brain. And it's, it's rare that a person kind of bridges, go, uh, bridges both gaps like that. So it's, it's interesting. And Astara, it's always fun to hear your take on these things. And thanks for the wonderful stories and, and, and kind of spooky stories. But uh, I hope all the listeners enjoyed it as well. Thanks for being on the show. And, and you know, this was just the appetizer, folks, because we're going to have Astara back on for her own full-length episode in Season 5 here in a few weeks' time. But uh, meanwhile, thanks for being on the season finale with us. Uh, it's just a joy to talk with you. And, Andy, just I had such a fun time, so thank you. And for anybody who wants to uh, grab a copy of her book, it's on Amazon as well as other places. It's called How the Stars Tell Time. Any other places uh, people can get this book? Do you have any other projects in the works? Yeah, so um, I'm in the midst of calling all of my channeled sessions with my guides, and that's going to be a book coming out. Right now, we're recording the book, so those of you that are just tired of the old-fashioned hardbound or paperbound book, uh, an audio version will be coming out towards the end of the year. And if you go to our website, astararaven.love, love, you can see a sparkly little banner across the top, and it'll give you the links to Amazon and all the places, Barnes & Noble, other places that you can get them online. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that, and enjoy. Whoever's listening, enjoy, because it's going to be a real treat. But uh, thanks again, Astara. We'll catch you next time, okay? Thank you. Good night. Thanks again to Astara for coming on the show. Uh, as for being pinned down to the bed by a ghost, I hope that's not something many people can relate to. I can only imagine the terror that would cause. Uh, so no wonder Astara and her friends would frequent the bar on free beer night. She uh, likely needed to take, a, take the edge off with a little something after an ordeal like that. But in any case, I'll leave a link to her website in the show notes so you can get in touch with her and grab a copy of her book when it's available. And speaking of books, I'd like to pause here for a brief second to share some really good news with you. So uh, just three days ago, my latest book was officially released. It's titled Old Soul, Young Spirit. And by lunchtime on the day it was released, I discovered the book had actually become a number one bestseller in multiple categories, including reincarnation, the occult, supernatural, and even the genre of parenting, believe it or not. So the book has a lot to do with past lives and reincarnation, so if that's right up your alley, be sure to show your support and grab a copy for yourself on Amazon. 
And it goes without saying uh, that it's been a good week here at Soul Studios. You know, knowing that your book is being well received is the dream of every author, and I'm blessed to be in that position right now. So perhaps it's no coincidence uh, that our final guest of the day is the person who my book was dedicated to. So you're about to hear from Eddie Fossler, my co-host on the Paranormal Dads podcast and one heck of a storyteller. And after you hear what he has to say, you might just find yourself looking to the sky more often. After all, you never know what might be up there looking back down at you. Okay, and now we'd like to welcome to the show the one, the only, the irreplaceable Eddie Fossler. How's it going, Eddie? I'm irreplaceable? <laughs> you are, man, to the human species. You know, a cardboard cutout and some quips put on a re recorder, <laughs> you're good. I'm replaced. Easy, now, Eddie, for enough. anybody listening, Eddie is one-third of the Paranormal Dads, the other podcast that I do. He's our fearless leader. He's uh, acquired the title The Podfather because he was doing this long before it was even the cool thing to do. Back when you'd say you had a podcast and people would go, what's a podcast? Eddie was doing it back then, making it look easy. And we're happy to have you here because out of everybody, everybody that I can think of, Eddie has some truly amazing stories that transcend multiple categories and with his usual humor... Uh, he's a good storyteller, so appreciate you being here, buddy. Oh, thanks, man. I'm excited to be invited back on the show. I didn't ruin my my chances with my last appearance, so that's good. Now, I think that's you're quickly becoming a fan favorite. So, Ooh. But, but here we are in the season four finale, Time's Flying, and thought I'd have you back on to share a few stories, and, and not to you know spoil anything, but I do believe you have a UFO story that's quite a humdinger. Uh, we also have a, a playful spirit to uh, relocating objects, and uh, we even have what's the other one? Uh, a dragon sighting, you know, freaking dragon sighting. Normal. That's the one I forget. The unforgettable story. Yeah, the one that for me is probably the one I think about maybe the most. It's like I, and we'll get to it. All right, we'll we'll get to it. But it's just one of those things that like you go through these things and then you retell them and you're like, I know this sounds insane, but. Whatever. Well, let's start with the appetizer first. So, so walk us back to the very beginning. There, there was this playful ghost or playful spirit who just kept moving an object in in plain sight. It seems like making you think you're going crazy. It sounded like. Oh yeah, and this is where I would love to hear from other people. So, like Andy said, paranormal dads or even on so strange. Please share your stories of similar uh, uh, mischievous spirits here. But we've all had things go missing. You know, things that we've set down, things that we access daily whether it's keys headphones wallets you know things like that cell phones uh, which are fairly easy to find if you lose them you know for the most part but i had this is years ago too this is maybe we're, we're pushing maybe 15 years ago and i was uh then married and uh young kids and not and not so young and curious to really grab and hide things they weren't really in that phase yet uh of you know that mischievous kid behavior and I had my keys that I granted. I, I'm a kind of guy that comes home and sometimes I just lay my keys down wherever I happen to lay them down, you know, usually in one of like three, like you, you know, you come home within like there's a mantle, maybe a table or, or something nearby, you know, the front door. And so I get home and then, you know, put keys down and then later on look for keys, can't find keys. Usually you find them in or about the area that you put them. 
And at the time, the small table, like the man, like the small table had like a little flower decoration on it and some other like family kind of de- decor. The dining room table had largely nothing on it. It was pretty much for the most part clear. This is f- 15 years ago. And so my youngest daughter was an infant. And then my older two weren't into the phase of like sitting at the table and doing homework yet because they were just little, little things. So this was not a new phenomenon where I'd come home and my keys weren't where I thought I had left them. And then I'd find them somewhat near where I thought they were. So for the most part, easily kind of, you know, dismissed like, okay, they're not where I thought I put them. Well, on one particular occasion, and this was kind of led leading up to some weird stuff, like stuff was kind of just randomly kind of not where I thought it was in the house. Not enough to like drive your suspicions up, but certainly enough for you to be like, you know, what's going on here? Um, one day, one particular day, I was, I was leaving for work, looked for my keys and was not on the mantle, not on the small table, not on the large dining room table. And the large dining room table at this time, empty, nothing on it, no homework, no folders, no bills, no papers, nothing, just a giant empty table, pretty big table. And, um... So I go, you know, like we all do, you kind of get a little bit flustered. You're looking kind of in a hurry to find your keys. And I'm kind of revisiting old spots because we kind of do that, I guess. Like when we're like, ah, I'll look again. And so I get into this weird like cycle. And honestly, I, I started practicing this thing. Uh, my my now ex-wife told me this practice of like touching the, the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth and thinking the word, this sounds crazy, thinking the word baga. B-A-G-A-A, or thereabouts, or B-U-G-A-A, whatever, Baga. You can even say it. And it's like, all right, I'm going to do this. Like, there's no such thing as a bad idea, especially when you're trying to find lost keys. And so I start doing this. I tip of my tongue to the top of my roof of my mouth, you know, and saying this word in my mind as I'm looking. And I revisited the dining room table several times, like two, three times, looked at it, plain as day, clear, nothing on it. My wife at the time is asleep. My kids are asleep. There's no one in the house that can prank me, punk me, whatever phrase you want to use. And I come back to the dining room table. My tongue is just going crazy on the, on the roof of my mouth, just nuts, just touching it like crazy. And... I kid you not, I look at the table and my keys are not only on the table, they are on the table in the middle of the table, like in the dead center of the table, almost with a certain amount of impunity. Like, here are your keys, you dummy, you know? <laughs> and and it's, it's so obviously yeah. apparent. You're like, you're just probably dumbfounded. You're like, okay, there's no way on earth I would have missed that dead center, middle of the table. Yeah, yeah. You're just staring at the keys. It took me a full, uh, not a minute, but it took me several seconds of just staring at them and being like, I know for an absolute fact. Not even like, oh, I could have sworn they weren't there. No, they were not there. That table was an empty table, and the keys were very prominent right in the middle. And after having, at that point, visited the table, like I said, two or three times, looking at it, doing a hard look like, where are these keys? And I remember to this day the feeling that washed over me the minute I saw him. 
it was like this, like you said, this impish, almost impish is almost giving it too much, like being too polite, uh, a little bit of like a jerky kind of energy. Like, yeah, I'll hide your keys when I want to hide your keys, you know? And it, it, it was a very like e- kind of eerie thing. I was like, huh, all right, that's cool. And what I noticed in my life was there was key times where that would happen when I had other things going on in my life. It was very interesting, very interesting. I, I'm a fan of the theory that sometimes we attract certain energies into our life based on our thoughts and actions and feelings at, at that time, you know? Well, and like you said, it was it was almost a, I don't know, almost something like messing with you. They're trying to, oh, dude. it was like gaslighting from the spirit world is what it was. You know, hiding yeah. your keys just long enough to make you think you're crazy and then leaving it in the middle of the table so you can like, oh, oh wow, I must have been losing my mind. Uh, it it, oh, it yeah. is interesting. I remember on a prior season finale, you shared that story about when you were younger. Now, this is when you were really young, uh, I believe living in upstate New York near the Adirondack Mountains where you had that troll goblin hobgoblin type of creature in your living room mm-hmm. now fast forward this is you know several years later you're a fully grown adult with children but i don't know there's just a part of me eddie that makes me wonder if on some level you know you ha- may have these elementals showing up call them a goblin call them a fairy but maybe at certain times they they rear their ugly heads and move things around and and shuffle things around cause a little mischief just long enough for you to make you know, feel like you're losing your marbles, but it, oh, it, it I, is, it is yeah. interesting. I'm a firm believer in it. I I've experienced uh, that several times uh, the, the missing item thing. I mean, there was another time now that I speak, there's another time where that happened again, uh, particularly with a book. I, I had had a small paperback book and uh, couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Uh, middle of my bed, a freshly made bed that I had looked at. And come back into my room, and it is smack dab on the middle of the bed with, with like I said, again with with like impunity. And, and no one a, else. And it was a Bible. Bed. It was a Bible, and it was, it was on a fire, Bible. Right? It was a Bible. It was a Bible, and the pages were backwards. Oh no, it's worse. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, your crucifix was turned upside down. Weird. Huh. Yeah, normal. A normal day. Um, you know, you mentioned like being followed by like impish entities. That's like I think about that. I mean, I was. I think I touched on this at some point um, was when I was particularly going through a pretty crazy emotional time over the pandemic. um, And I'll just make it easier for people. I was going through my divorce and I did not see that coming. So there was even more kind of like, you know, like um, what's the word? Um, Not velocity. What's the word? Like just power to the feelings that I was going through. And I was a couple of times. I remember I was in my bedroom and I turned and looked in the corner wide awake. I just finished watching uh, season one, episode one, or no, yeah, uh, uh, the uh, the TV show Ted Lasso. I was just watching this, but it's about soccer, Andy. You'd love it. Oh um, yeah, I do love it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was watching it. Watched the first episode. I was like, "What a great show!" You know, a very aware, awake memory. I wasn't uh, ready for bed. I was going to get ready for bed. And I turned off my, I think I was watching it on a tablet, turned it off, turned around to go to my bathroom to get ready for bed. And there in the corner, again, corner, by the way, what's up with the corners and these things, was this old woman just standing there. And I saw her for maybe seriously, like not even two seconds, like a second and a quarter, just such a short little flash. But as clear as day, this full person 
solid, not see-through, standing in my bedroom, dressed in all black. It was like, and and like black, like a dress with like a veil over her face. And it wasn't like creepy or scary, which it sounds creepy and scary. It wasn't creepy or scary. She looked like, like an old lady. It wasn't like an old lady shaking her finger at me with some spell or some, you know, it was just an old woman in my room and gone. Like I saw her and then I didn't. And I'm like, this is interesting how I think, you know, either we attract entities maybe sometimes depending on what we're going through or doing or thinking maybe. I don't know. It was just a very interesting experience. It's almost like a manifestation of what you're going through on the inside, right? Darkness so. and turmoil. And then here in your bedroom, you have a, you know, a dark, dark figure. It It is interesting. And so are the the corners, you know, it's thought that corners and doorways, for that matter, acting as portals, acting as, I don't know, almost like a spiritual spider web that catches ghouls and goblins and specters and old hags that are staring at you after you watch Ted Lasso. Yep. But I'm glad you're in a better place now, but, but it certainly oh, yeah. is interesting. And up, oh, yeah. uh, upstairs, I'm not going to lie, man, upstairs, you know, I, I'm, I'm eccentric. I have a young daughter. You get it. So, you know, what oh, do you yeah. do when you're eccentric and have a young daughter? Well, we have fairy villages, fairy gardens all over the place, all over our house. We have little huts and little houses and little twinkle lights and toadstools and stepping stones and all and little gnomes figures and stuff. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit worried when I bought these because obviously you don't want to. I heard it a hundred times from a lot of, you know, open-minded people they're saying you don't want to invite fairies into your home because if you do you can't get rid of them they're mischievous yeah. you know they hide things they steal things they move your keys around so i don't know man yeah. i don't know thinking back to your to your mystery keys maybe it was a similar situation i believe so and, and this is where you you do a little research on these creatures the fair the fey world as they call it and it's like the idea is that they are interdimensional that they could step in and out kind of whenever they kind of wanted to. And you're kind of at their mercy. You're just like, please don't have my keys again. I really need to drive my car. <laughs> I can't ride <laughs> on a snail shell like you guys do. It's not how it works here. <laughs> it doesn't work slow. so good. Yeah. Too slow. So, so moving from very, very small things like fairies to really, really big things like dragons. Can you, can you set the stage for this next story? Tell us where you were at, who you were with, kind of what the weather was like. Kind of make us feel like like we were there because this this out of all the stories I've heard is one that sticks with me and gives me goosebumps. Yeah, uh, like everything, and I will say that like there's times we've embarked on the paranormal, Andy, and we've intentionally gone looking for it, and in some cases have found it. You know, um, in this case, I was just very similar to the keys. I was just driving my car, man. I was going to target here in Omaha with my youngest daughter. And at the time she was probably 11 going on 12 or no, she had just turned 11. I want to say, um, around that time. And it was right before Christmas. It was the like two weeks. It was like December 12th or something like that. And we're driving and it's uh broad daylight. I mean, it's probably one o'clock. You know, it's afternoon and we're driving and where we live in this kind of, in this part of the world where in the winter, particularly you'll have long stretches of days that are overcast, just ugly kind of gray, silver, even clouds that kind of just fill the entire sky as far as you can see. 
and the sun kind of is glowing, if you will, behind it, but you don't even really see the sun. You just see a bright spot in the clouds. Like, that's where the sun is, I think, but you don't see even the sun for what could be several days, you know? And that's winter here in a lot of ways. Sometimes you have those clear days, but a lot of these those those gray winter days are just overcast. This is one of those days. And we're driving in my car, and we're just on the road leading to Target. And I'm just looking straight ahead, and my daughter literally goes, Dad, what's that? And she's pointing, like, you know, from the window up, and she sees it clear as day. And I look at it, and as I'm driving, and I look at it, and it is, to this day, one of the most impressive, like, heart-stopping things I've ever seen. And you, your brain tries to make sense of it. And it was a shadow behind the clouds, so it wasn't underneath, it was on the other side of the clouds, and it was massive. It was... It was, take your two hands and kind of put them into the shape of like a bird, you know how they do like the shadow, like pigeon, you know? Hold them like that and just hold them maybe like at elbow's length away from your face. That's how big it was in the sky. So we're talking bigger, like, than, bigger than a commercial airliner. Yeah, bigger than a plane. I mean, this thing looks massive and, and it is a very sharp, uh, very uh, striking shape of a long neck, it looks like an animal, and it's a long neck, big bat-like wings, and a long, what I'll call tail. And the, the bat-like exactly bat -like wings. I want to talk about that for a second, Eddie. The bat-like wings. So you're talking about wings that almost have like half circles cut out to make the the edges more um, like concave or convex, with the kind of like protruding spikes, like you would see on a bat's wing. In the drafting world, it's called scallops. Yes, it's like that. That shape is called scalloping. It's literal in architecture. It's it's like, the, like like you said, those like semicircle shapes on the other side on the back end of a bat wing, and it's basically where the uh, flesh attaches to the bone of the wing. You know, and you can see it in sharp relief. I mean, very much just like a shadow puppet, uh, but in this case, you have the the wall was the clouds there's the object on the other side of the clouds and then the sun behind that object creating that shadow on the clouds and we both look at it for probably because i'm driving the car like i'm actively driving we probably look at it for maybe a total of like three seconds maybe three to five seconds but we're watching it and it's like it's um it's kind of like I, we don't see it i mean once again i'm seeing a shadow but I don't see any like flapping per se, but I see what is an intentional like bank. The thing is definitely changing directions. Um, uh, anyone who lives in the city we live in, it's it was literally over target, like over target slash uh, Walmart area, and it had banked and started heading. Let me get my directions down. It started heading. That's east. It started heading south. And this was near 120th and Center area, or 120th and uh, 120th and L. Okay, so if you're in Omaha, you have a reference point. The the, the fact that you saw it banking Massive. is interesting because in, without that intentional motion, we could say, you know, a skeptic would say, okay, this is a reflected shadow from an airplane, and that the shadow it's casting on the cloud cover is making it look bigger. 
But, you know, planes don't bank that abruptly. Unless you're talking about a really low-to-the-ground crop duster kind of thing, it might. But this thing looked massive. And plus, no plane has those, what do you call it? The uh, scallops. Scallops. No no plane that we know of has scallops on the wings like a like a yeah. dragon. I mean, and your daughter I've, saw this, too. What was her reaction? Was she freaking she out? Was she excited? Out. She had, you know, she didn't. She's like, she even said, that looks like a, a giant dragon behind the clouds. And I'm like... This is where, as in a you know forty almost forty six year old man living in this world, I'm like I've seen a lot of planes behind clouds. I've never really, honestly, I've never seen a plane's shadow behind clouds before. And if you do, it's kind of very like it's the size and shit. And a big a big airliner up in the sky is as big as like your like you know your pinky, like and not even your whole pinky. It's it's and as it's landing, it gets bigger. But I'm like. We aren't near any major airports. The only airport in town is the Millard Airport by that area. And any plane, there's no planes even remotely that are big to cast a shadow like that. There was nothing in the news at all about a giant emergency, you know, passenger jet landing at a tiny municipal airport. Nothing like that at all. And it wasn't the shape of a plane. I've seen, you know, this is where you can see it clear as day, especially the long neck and the long tail and like the skinny long and then these giant. I mean, my best description is bat-like wings, and it was like I said, we got a good solid three to three to five, probably closer to five seconds of looking at this thing before it kind of just glided out of sight. I have tried to, like, using like my hand and flashlights and walls to recreate how this looks, and I'm like, something was in the way of the sun that looked like the size and shape of a dragon, like for it to be that big it would have to be that big. Like, like either the, the subject is so far away. I mean, there's so much way you could play with it, but like getting a kite, I was even thinking, was that a kite? But the kite would have had to have been massive. You know, I just don't, I just, I mean, bigger than any airplane. I, there's really, it fit logic fails at every level, but I know, this, this is where you sound crazy. Like, I know what I saw. I know what I seen. You can't lie to me anti-dragon people <laughs> but <laughs> i mean that's my best that's my best description of it is picture what a dragon would look like um above barely above cloud cover and then getting its shadow cast on the clouds by the sun behind it it was crazy you know the interesting thing about dragons eddie and i'm sure you already know this but this is a phenomenon that transcends culture and time Mm -hmm. Because for as long as humans have been telling stories, dragons have been a part of it. And not just that, going back hundreds and, and even thousands of years, but it transcends culture. It transcends geography because dragons are a big part of the folklore in Asian countries. They're, they're a huge part of the folklore in European countries. You know, people are seeing dragons in Iowa, in the plains yeah. of the Midwest here in the United States, which was yeah. a whole story for a whole nother episode. But Yep. You know, if it was a fictional thing, you know, why are people from different walks of life throughout different chapters of history all reporting similar creatures? Now, I know, you know, the, the diehard skeptic would say, well, people are were finding dinosaur bones and they or Komodo dragon bones. And they were they were just assuming that they were dragons. But you have cases like this. What about people who see actual large flying creatures in the sky, you know, so large that they can't be a known animal? Uh, right. You know, ruling out planes. What the hell are we left with here? Yeah. 
and even the notion of them finding bones. It's like we're confusing modern archaeology for for ancient people maybe finding a bone or two randomly in the wild. It's like it's just different. Like especially the the type of excavations you would need to get at modern, you know, like people weren't discovering dinosaur skeletons like the way we are now until like later on down the timeline like ancient man wasn't doing giant archaeological digs necessarily. I mean, you know, largely speaking. Um Except for pyramid building, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, yeah, it's it's it it does boggle the mind. I mean, we did do an episode on paranormal dads, a dragons in Iowa, literally, and that's where it gets even more crazy because you got otherwise pretty you know people who have no reason to make this up in the Midwest saying I've seen a dragon and I don't know what to do about it. So yeah, it's literally I've only seen I it's only been that one time. Uh, when I go out there every so often, I'll look up kind of playfully, like I wonder if there's anything here. But yeah, I've never had anything like that again. Once, once, and that's it. Well, I know a lot of people nowadays are accused of not looking up enough because everyone's staring at their phone. Everyone's preoccupied yeah. with technology. I think people like you and I have the opposite problem, where we need to keep our eyes on the road because we're so busy looking in the sky for dragons and UFOs. That's just it, man. You don't want me looking at the road too, up at the sky too much. I'll drive off the road into an embankment, and then we got a whole other problem. I um, yeah, then we have a haunting I, I, by a ghost, Eddie, is what we have there. Exactly. Well, that'll be fun too. <laughs> I I remember I you know I spend a lot of time looking up as much as I can, and I just don't want to miss anything. I think I forget where I read this, but someone was like, if you looked up enough, you would have a UFO uh, sighting and encounter. You just got to keep looking up. People don't look up enough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's true. But speaking of UFOs, we're going to get into the grand finale of the season finale, and we have one heck of a story and I, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this Eddie because I I'm, I'm not sure if we could, I'm not sure if you had permission. Maybe you can omit some names and specifics and if that's the case that's perfectly fine, but uh you were told a true story by uh somebody who's extremely honest and it has to do with UFOs in the ocean. Correct. Yeah. And, and I'll just shoot straight. Cause I mean, if he told me this then that means he could, he could tell anybody. And at this point, what's the matter? It's already out. The government, we, we had a, a hearing in Congress talking about UFOs. So, um, uh, yeah, my dad uh, was in the United States, uh, Navy for over 20 years and was deployed in all sorts of crazy environments, did a lot of nutty things, uh, by by trade and education, he's a nuclear engineer. Uh, he's went on to do other things, write write a lot of custom software for security companies. But he is uh, at his heart, he's an engineer. He, he that's what he does. He looks to work on engines. It just happens that the ones he likes to work on are nuclear. And so, um, uh, my dad's not prone to like stories of fancy. He's a very down to earth guy. He's very like you know uh, doesn't really say anything without any sort of like reason to say it. And we were talking recently and he said there were lots of things he saw in the Navy that he just couldn't talk about at the time uh, because of just the level of his clearances and the things that they saw, the things they were doing at those times. He just couldn't talk about it. And he's like, and now he can. And there was a time where they were deployed uh, for the first Gulf War uh, back in 19, was it 91, something like that, 1999, 91. And uh, he was gone for two years for that war. And during that time, they were doing all these exercises um, on the uh, uh, 
ship he was on that I probably won't share, you know, all that stuff. But, and while they were observing and doing all these exercises, they observed what you would call a water spout, which is essentially water coming out of the ocean. Usually it's like a tornado that's out on the ocean, which is bonkers. And it pulls water up into the air and then it kind of like sprays out like a mist and comes back down. But in this case, he saw a water spout, and as they followed it and looked around, they saw a UFO that was either monitoring it or causing it. And when they witnessed it, they, you know, made a note of it. And then I think at one point, and I don't think I remember him saying this, uh, it went into the ocean, you know, or went out of sight in what they presumed to be the ocean. So, so it was pretty crazy. It was like siphoning up water from the ocean into the craft. That's that what, what it appeared. That's that's what, what it, appeared. it appeared to be from him. Like he was like he saw the, the yeah like water coming up like a water uh, type like a water spout uh, going up towards the aircraft. Did he did he say anything about the shape? Are we are we talking uh, triangle shaped or classic disc? We got into we. He didn't get overly descriptive of the disc of the shape. He just said kind of your classic UFO. He goes, it was basically a bright light, but it wasn't anything that they could identify, and it took off super fast after they kind of started looking at it. Yeah, uh, very I, brief, I think- very brief. I asked him how long the whole thing took. He goes, it was less than a minute. He goes, we we observed it, looked at it, pointed at it, and it took off. You know, these UFOs seen over oceans are fascinating to me. You have these accounts of them coming out of the ocean or going into the ocean. You have other accounts of them slurping up water as into the craft as if they're studying it. And, yeah. you know, that we know of, they're, they're, we, do, we humans that we know of don't have anything that can go in and out of the ocean no. with the capabilities to fly off into outer space as well. No. I mean, <laughs> that takes, just I the mean, idea. Yeah. It's, it's science fiction to us. We have those boat cars. If you've seen that, like it can be a car and then you can drive it into the ocean and then start turning it into a boat. But like a bit flying like a plane and then going under the ocean and then forget being a plane going from that to outer space. No, we don't have anything like that. No, that's three different things. Just like an airplane can't be a space shuttle. Uh, You know, now we're talking boat, airplane and space shuttle combined submarine yeah. perhaps I mean, it, it's enough to make you go cross-eyed that's what they mean by the way when they say it's defying physics they don't mean it's defying physics because it's like clearly we don't know about a lot of physics we're learning more and more about it all the time it's just like physics as we understand it to be we can't design anything like you said that can literally go what they call it transmedium how it can go from space to atmosphere to ocean you know all those are three wildly different designs and we just we can't we haven't designed that yet. Um, Maybe we should know, study water more. You know, water can be a, a solid liquid or a gas in the form of steam. You know, maybe that's what we need to reinvent the wheel here a little bit with our space travel. You know, or like an Andy Meyer. You could be an author, a psychic medium, and a podcaster. You know, it's like... Why, you know, why pick one thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, and who and knows? Cool you know, and a, Well, I try my best, man. Helps I mean, when you have yeah. a cool daughter. But, yeah, right. you know, yeah, these these things, maybe 100 years into the future, will be like, oh, yeah, it is possible to have a submarine that turns into an airplane, that turns into a space shuttle, that turns into an interdimensional time machine. Maybe we're just not there yet. And then that throws a whole monkey wrench into the the spokes of this conversation, because are these UFOs, are these UAPs that we're seeing uh, us from the future? 
Now, I, right. I can't weigh in with an opinion one way or another, but there are people who are speculating that they're not extraterrestrials. They are us from the future. We're observing ourselves. We're being observed by ourselves. Uh, what yeah. do you What do you make of that? What are the chances of that being what's happening? I I I literally subscribe to one of three camps. Like it's either us from the future, which if it is us from the future, you think we'd be better about staying hidden at this point. But there's a little bit of that. Like I think it might be us from the future. Which if that's the case, we've been going all over the timeline. Um, it might be. I'm a big fan of this one, a break off human civilization that lives uh, in a, I don't want to say in the inner earth, but essentially in the inner earth, like subterranean caverns that are miles and miles and miles across and deep and basically entirely different ecosystems from what we have up here who may look different now because they've lived in an environment so opposite to what we live on. And that maybe have uh, uh, gone on to develop higher end technology because they've been able to figure out that they shouldn't be killing each other left and right. Um, or the classic, it might just be UFOs from an entirely different area. And they have figured out how to uh, traverse long distances in very short amounts of time. I mean, one of those three for sure. I love the time travel theory. The only problem I have with that is like, they seem to really be interacting with us a lot. And, if that's the case, they're really messing up our own timeline because it's like we go back to what we were talking about before. Like this, there's been UFO sightings since, in a lot of cases, if you want to think about it, in biblical time, ancient alien theory. I mean, and if that's us from the future, I mean, that's a that's a lot to consider right there. <laughs> it is, you know, but you do you have these biblical depictions where there's like saucer shaped things in the background that are clearly not a star or a planet. And then, of course, you have the little case of the Battle of Nuremberg. I believe it was 1600s Germany, where yep. an entire town, an entire village, saw like an intergalactic battle between spaceships that were shooting lasers and crashing to the ground. So you have that little thing. Um, but I'd like to think, if there are aliens visiting our planet, the most efficient way to get to our atmosphere would be to ride a dragon, for crying out loud, right? I know. Get on the dragon, hide Eddie's keys while you're doing it, just to really mess with him. You know, <laughs> throw, throw a creepy old lady in the corner for good measure and bada bing, bada boom. You got a full day. You're going to be late to work and you're going to be freaked out by this old lady wearing wearing black in your in your house. <laughs> like, how did you get in here? You don't have a key. She's like, I do. I have your keys. Psych. Oh, <laughs> took my keys. Yeah, oh. it's something else. I love this stuff. I live for it. I, I'm a big fan of honest storytelling. It's like the temptation is to embellish. You're like, this doesn't add a little. No, man. I think uh, as a paranormal enthusiast and paranormal dad, I think the, 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 the world is weird enough. We don't need to add any other details to it. We just gotta, you know, you know, have fun with it and be curious about learning more about it for sure. Well, Eddie, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You're a wonderful storyteller and even better human being. And we're really appreciative of your time here on the season finale. Always a pleasure to be here and it's always good to see you and and everyone hey thanks for listening it's been a it's been a blast. Okay, there you have it ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Fossler. Thanks again, Eddie. Dragons, aliens, spirits, Bigfoot. What you choose to believe is entirely up to you. Uh, I, for one, have learned throughout my life that just when I think I've made my mind up as to what's real and what's not, 
It's wise to leave a little extra room for belief in the paranormal storage bin. It's a little compartment in my head that I've decided to label, maybe, just maybe. You know, maybe dragons are real. Maybe monsters, myths, and mysteries are about as real as we believe them to be. Perhaps giving them power and attention makes them real. You know, one thing's for certain, the veil between worlds appears to be thinning. The paranormal's becoming pretty normal. And as a collector of strange stories, the idea gets me pretty excited. And with that being said, if you have a strange or unusual story, please email me and we'll set you up to be a guest on the show. And you can ask anybody who's appeared on the podcast and they'll tell you it's a pretty cool experience to hear your own voice on a show that's heard by so many people. And as this season comes to an end, I'm going to take a break for a week or two. It'll give me time to dust off some cobwebs, catch my breath, and invest in some new and improved recording equipment. And speaking of investing, uh, it would mean the world to me if you would consider becoming a subscriber to this show. You know, putting this show together is a labor of love, and I, I thoroughly enjoy producing So Strange. But there are a lot of costs involved, and if you become a subscriber for only five bucks a month, it really helps offset some of those costs for me. So thanks in advance if you choose to do so. Uh, the link is in the show notes, along with some links to stay connected with me on social media until we begin uh, season five. Until then, Stay safe, be kind, and tell your friends about this show. They might just love it if they're into stories that are super spooky and so strange. 